the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is a competition, okay? And Dylan Carlson is is fighting for his, his career in St. Louis. Uh, and plain and simple, they're going he's going to have to really step up his game, and it really comes down to his offense more than anything else. But Dylan Carlson is in a, a fight for his job because everybody's going to be kicking the tires on it, whether it's O'Neal or uh, Lars Newbar. Uh, Oscar Mercado is here as well. I mean, they've got some guys that can play center field, so it's going to be up to Dylan Carlson to make sure he's on that opening day lineup card. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. I'll be honest, that was a statement that I did not expect to hear this morning when I turned on the opening drive. That, of course, was Mike Claiborne on with the opening drive. If you missed any of their conversation, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the 101 ESPN app. It is all free for you. Alex, Dylan Carlson is in an interesting spot right now. He was this phenom coming through the Cardinals minor leagues. I don't think he got as much attention as he probably deserved, honestly, given what he was able to do, especially in AAA, where he produced very similar numbers to what we saw last year from Jordan Walker. Comes up during the 2020 pandemic season, bit of an up and down year for him. But let's be honest, that was a weird year for everybody. We all kind of set that to the side. And then by the time that they got to the playoffs, they were asking too much of him. He was batting cleanup for them in his first year up in the big leagues during a pandemic season going into the postseason. Weird season for everybody involved. 2021 ended up having a pretty damn good true rookie season. And then last year, the bottom fell out. He hurts his wrist. He hurts thumb, whatever you want to call it. And the second half of the season loses his job, basically becomes a platoon player for the Cardinals. Now, here we are going into spring training when everything's supposed to be hunky dory. Everybody's excited, ready to go. Best shapes of our lives. Right. And now you hear Mike Claiborne come on the morning show and say, hey, he's fighting for his life. You hear Ollie Marmel out of spring training today saying, hey, Tyler O'Neill came up to me during the offseason and said, I'd like to battle for the spot in center field battle Alex what's up with Dylan Carlson where are our expectations for him at this point Uh, my expectation for him is a starting corner outfielder for the Cardinals this upcoming season but my expectation for him in terms of offense is pretty low because of what happened last year and a lot of people will use the argument of he was injured and that had a massive role in it great if that's the case then I expect 2021 Dylan Carlson if it was the injury but if not I I, I was always a little skeptical about the hype around him 
it didn't feel like he was going to be this offensive power that the Cardinals were expecting him to be for their lineup. I'm looking at him as one of those complimentary pieces this upcoming season. We talked a lot about how they were looking for the guys that are going to lead the way and then the complimentary pieces. He doesn't fall into that category of leading the way. He falls into that category of he's going to be somebody in the bottom of your batting order. He's going to be a guy who hopefully can be consistent enough for you and provide great defense. But that's it. I'm not looking at him as a Arenado, Goldschmidt, Wilson, Contreras. I'm looking at him as more of a Lars Nupar, Nolan Gorman, Brendan Donovan type of player. Yeah, I, I think my expectation for him going into the year is I think he's going to expectation should be he's a starting center fielder for you probably hitting bottom half of the order and he is repeating close to what 2021 was maybe a little bit more power closer to that 20 home runs because i think he is a 20 home run type hitter i and and most importantly improved hitting against right-handed pitching and i do i do think the wrist injury played a part of that last year i'm not giving up on carlson yet but my hope would be that he can be a guy that i can pencil in somewhere in my lineup and he's going to always be my everyday center fielder and I don't have to worry about him the rest of the year I I don't him becoming a platoon bat for the Cardinals means something went awry this season and I think right now that's kind of why you're seeing the rumblings of O'Neal in center field Mercado in center field is they're preparing for okay what if it wasn't the wrist and he's not good against right-handed pitching and I, I think the Cardinals are better off if he can be an everyday player for them and be that starting center field. And if we're being honest, he hasn't hit against right-handed pitching so far in his major league career. 2020. Again, weird season. I get it. But 620 OPS against right-handed pitching. 2021. Even in his quality year that we all agree, he, that was easily so far the best that we've seen from Dylan Carlson. Finished that year with a 410 slugging percentage against right-handed pitching. Overall, an OPS below 750. And then last year, once again, went back down to the bottom of the barrel with an OPS of 630 against right-handed pitching. In his major league career so far, here is his slash line against right-handed pitching. And this is over the course of roughly 1,000 plate appearances. Now, it's no longer a small sample size. 225 batting average, 305 on base percentage, 380 slugging percentage. That's not good enough. And so I get it if this is what the Cardinals are looking at and they're saying, okay, against left-handed pitching, 870 career OPS. Against right-handed pitching, 680 career OPS. So far, it is very clear to see what Dylan Carlson appears to be. He's a right-handed hitter that hits well against lefties and really struggles when he switches over to the left side going up against righties. If that continues in spring training, I think they're right to do this. I think this is a smart way to go about it. Now, the risk is this. If you end up leaving spring training, Dylan Carlson is your fourth outfielder. He's going to start in center against left-handed pitching, which essentially means one out of every three days, you're going to start Dylan Carlson on average. Do you lose him? Do you end up burying a guy where he now is just basically for the rest of this season, a platoon bat, And this is a guy who was previously a top 20 prospect in baseball. And if he is that platoon bat where he's only starting against lefties, who are your three outfielders against righties? O'Neal, Newt Bar, and... I think the hope would be Walker. Who's the third? That's a big hope. And we don't know. We we don't know if he's going to be ready to go on. I think that is the risk. The risk is if you are... If they are wrong about Dylan Carlson and he ends up being more of a platoon bat... Do they have the depth to be able to carry them? That 
is going to be remain to be seen too, because I, I'm still skeptical that Jordan Walker makes his team out of camp. I, I, I believe they're going to slow play it with him. And if Oscar Mercado Mercado is your starting outfielder, then uh, this offseason went awry quickly. Uh, this also to me, let's all remember that he's 24 years old. So this isn't the end of the career for Dylan Carlson because he's still a young kid who's still trying to figure it out at the major league level. This to me also, and, and Ollie, Ollie might be doing this. This is also a, let's see what you are mentally, kid. Yep. Because now it's not, well, Dylan Carlson's here and Tyler O'Neill's here and Harrison Bader's here. Now it's, hey, Dylan, I got somebody who says they want your job. You were expected to be the center fielder once we traded away Harrison Bader and then the injury popped up. Now I got somebody who's saying they want your job. How do you respond to this? Do you jump back up after you get knocked down or do you stay knocked down? This might be Ollie testing Dylan Carlson and it might bring the best out of him. We know he does this. Yeah. He says things publicly to fire up his players privately. And the other thing is, and we've talked to Ollie about this, he believes in honesty and curiosity, and the honesty goes both to the media side and the player side. He's told Dylan Carlson all this stuff. Yeah. He's told Dylan Carlson, hey, you're going to have a competition going into spring training. And you know what else I love? Ollie told us at winter warm-up, hey, this is going to be the most competition we've had at a spring training in a while. John Mosellock said this as they got down to Jupiter, where he said to somebody, Hey, most years will tell you guys, the media, that there's competition. But really, we know pretty much 24 of our 26 roster spots. And it's about who is, who's going to latch on to those last two spots. And realistically speaking, are people losing or gaining starting spots in spring training? Probably not. This year, though, John Mosellock said that is a very different camp. This year, he does believe that there are real competitions taking place right now. Maybe this is one of them. I didn't foresee this being the case. John Denton's been shouting from the mountaintops all offseason long. Hey, Jordan Walker could really win an opening day spot on this roster. Is it possible that I've been looking at this wrong? We've been looking at this wrong on our show, and it is actually more of a Dylan Carlson versus Jordan Walker than it is a Newt Bar versus Walker or an O'Neill versus a Walker. Maybe that's really the decision point for them. I think that's, once again, competition for Jordan Walker to internalize it for him to bring the best out of him. I just, and maybe John Denton's more in tune than I am. I just don't see it with Jordan Walker right away because that's a lot of pressure to put on somebody at what if that he's spot. Up for it though? What, what if what we see in spring training, and I don't know this is this is going to be the case, but just in a hypothetical scenario, Carlson looks average and Jordan Walker's tearing the cover off the ball. Does that you give him, yeah, you, you got to give him the job. I, I mean, I'm not going to hinder a kid who dominates at spring training when it comes to the other side of it to where he's outperforming guys who have been in this spot multiple times. I'm not going to hinder that. He deserves it, and he, he earned it. But then the question becomes, are we putting him in the spot too quickly? Because what happens if he does what happened with Dylan Carlson in that first year where he fell off and then you had to put him back down into the minors? Did that affect Dylan Carlson long term? I, I don't, don't think know so, that the next year he was great. Absolutely. And maybe not. And that's the mental side of the game that you're going to find out. But man, I would just be so concerned if you risk it with somebody like Jordan Walker. But everything we've heard about him mentally Seems like he's ready for the pros, and it just comes down to you performing at spring training. Yeah, I, I don't have that concern with Walker because I, I think Walker will be up for the task for how highly they've touted him, and he, he I, I don't think that will be an issue for him. And I, I've said all offseason long, I think they went into camp hoping Walker would win a job. Where I was wrong, where it appears I think I was wrong, was I did think it was Lars Newbart or Tyler O'Neill's job. I, it, it may end up being Dylan Carlson's job. I didn't think Carlson was going to be in that conversation because of the. 
topics we've heard in the past of, you know, we don't want to trade him for Juan Soto. We still believe in Dylan Carlson or the prime for my cold, dead hands. I So I just assumed that they were still bullish on Dylan Carlson. I think they are for what it's worth. I, I think they are too, but I think they also realize, you know what, there's probably more upside in a Tyler O'Neill and Lars Nupar than there is in Dylan Carlson. Because we've said it all along. We said it when we talked in July about uh, him potentially being traded for Juan Soto. I think the best you're ever going to see out of Dylan Carlson is he's always going to be a really good player. I don't know if he'll ever be a great player. And I think they can look at they can look at uh, (laughs) true. They can look at Tyler O'Neill and go, okay, he can possibly win an MVP. You can look at uh, Lars Newbar, probably not an MVP, but you can look at an All Star that can provide great power. And then you can look at Jordan Walker and you can see a rookie of the year type player. So when you look at Carlson, I think that's where the conversation comes into play. Of okay, we want Walker to win a job. And it probably is Dylan Carlson's. We'll move Tyler O'Neill to center and put Walker in left or right and move Newpar wherever. I will be very curious to see, and I asked this of you, Alex, whenever we started this conversation, if the Cardinals have the depth in the outfield to make up for their lack of star power. What I mean by that is I like what you have in Tyler O'Neill because of the upside. I like what you have in Lars Newpar because of the upside. Dylan Carlson, same thing. But what if some of those guys fail? What if there are injuries? What then happens? The depth is going to be tested at some point this year. Might not even be right now, but it could very well be after the first month of the season or so. The big news today uh, is that Tyler O'Neill is indeed competing for the center field job down in Jupiter with Dylan Carlson. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, how are the Blues going to handle their defensive core now? You have a bunch of bodies back there. Who's going to get the playing time? We'll talk about that coming up at 1130. Carlo Koliakovo is a former NHL defenseman. He told us three years ago, if the Blues let Alex Petrangelo walk, they're going to be trying to find the next Petro for the next five to seven years. He joins us next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. coming up in about 10 minutes or so. We'll talk about how the Blues handle their defensive court now that they have a bunch of bodies that are back with Scandella coming off of the IR. Perunovic sticking the, in the AHL for now, uh, but he was activated from the IR. So we'll talk about that coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. But right now we're going out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by a former NHL defenseman, now a co-host on TSN's first up 1050 up in Toronto. He's Col- Carlo Koliakov joining us here on the show. Carlo, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? I'm doing great, boys. How are you guys doing? I love the fact that you guys call this a celebrity line. <laughs> kind of makes me feel special today. You're a hockey celebrity, Carlo. <laughs> You're the expert on all I of this now. I- I'm surprised <laughs> that you didn't come on with uh, bells and whistles after that trade for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Well, hey, um, Great trade for both teams, I think. Uh, for me, it's it's kind of, you know, I always, every trade that the Maple Leafs make, I always come out of it with an open mind, but it's really, really hard for me not to get so over the moon excited about this deal because I actually, I absolutely love Ryan O'Reilly as a player and Ryan O'Reilly as a person. He was one of my favorite teammates to play with when I played with him in Buffalo. And I actually remember the day I was in St. Louis on July 1st when the Blues made the deal for Ryan O'Reilly. And I was actually talking to Chris Kerber 
And I told him, I said, you have no idea what you're getting in Ryan O'Reilly. This is going to be a difference maker move for you guys. And lo and behold, the first year there, he helps you guys win a Stanley cup. So um, you can obviously tell that I'm excited about the deal. I think it's a great pickup for the Toronto Maple Leafs. It addresses so many, uh, it checks off so many boxes, and I and I think it could be a difference maker type of deal for the Maple Leafs. At least I hope. Well, and it makes a lot of sense for Kyle Dubas to go all out like that and make a, a big trade to get uh, Ryan O'Reilly and Nolachari. But Carlo, from, from the St. Louis side, I, I am curious. Like from a former player's perspective, it, it's very obvious that the Blues were going down this path of trading away yeah. these assets because of how much they struggled this season. But that's now three straight captains that Doug Armstrong has been a part of with St. Louis that they've moved on from with David Backus and Alex Petrangelo and now Ryan O'Reilly. Does that resonate poorly in NHL players' minds? Uh, It's tough to say. I I always thought, you know, naming a captain and being a captain and having the C on your jersey was a little bit overrated, Um, you know, because literally if, if you build enough of a culture in the locker room, there could probably be more than just one guy that would be suitable for the C. But... You know, it, it can't go without notice, knowing that, you know, David Back has left as a free agent. Alex Petrangelo, obviously, I was very close to that situation. And I know he much he, how much he wanted to stay. And, you know, the, the business of the game took over in that. And you really can't blame Doug for this situation either because, you know, obviously, Ryan O'Reilly would have loved to stay in St. Louis. I think he made that very public. I mean, anybody would have loved to stay in St. Louis. I think every player that plays there wants to stay there for the rest of their career, um, just from my own experience there, too. So, But you really can't blame Doug in this situation. I mean, clearly he's a guy that uh, was coveted in the market, and as you saw with the return that he got, really capitalized on you know the return on the market, uh, considering who Ryan O'Reilly is, what he brings, and obviously what you know, the Blues were able to get back with him. So... It doesn't necessarily close the door with him returning um, based on some speculation that's out there. Um, who's to say how this ends up playing out for Ryan? If he does end up back there, think about how much better this deal looks. If he doesn't, well, then it's another changing of the guard for the organization. But I think the Blues did a pretty good job setting themselves up for this changing of the guard going into this season when they basically you know, identified Kyra and Robert Thomas as two players they want to build around. And I think, to, even to my surprise this season, I would imagine to yours too, the season that the Blues have had has been a very disappointing one. And unfortunately, you know, in times like these, when you have these type of seasons, you have players that other teams covet, you got to try to take advantage of it when you can so that you don't go through a rebuild, you just go through a retool which is what I believe the Blues will go through. And that's what I wanted to get to with you next. We're talking to Carlo Koliakovo, former NHL defenseman here on 101 ESPN. Uh, the next guy that we all expect to be dealt at this point is Ivan Barbashev, given the value that he has yeah. around the league. And then, of course, the pending unrestricted free agency for him. Uh, the other thing that we're wondering, though, is will Doug make another move? There are some rumblings out there about the possibility of him moving one of those defensemen. Uh, Colton Pareko mm-hmm. and Krug are probably the two that have been bandied about the most often here locally. Carlo, when you look at the Blues roster and you think to yourself how they can get this thing retooled as quickly as possible, what do you think that looks like as we get closer to the trade deadline? Well, like I said, I mean, the good thing is you're not going full scorched earth. In, in you know making these moves, um, you still have a lot of good players that you could 
um, start the season with next year. I mean, you could rave about the talents that Cairo and, and Thomas are up front. Um, you've got some good young pieces that you can build around in Perunovic. You got some guys locked up in, in term with um, uh, Krug and, and Falk. Um, you know that can that can bring some and Pareko and that can bring some experience to that group. And I don't know what happens with those guys. I think at this point right now, if you're Doug, you're basically looking at all options. I mean, based on what people would be willing to offer you, I think everybody's on the table minus Cairo and Thomas and maybe even Bennington. But you know, it's what you've done is you've replenished the 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 um, the prospect pool cupboard. But you've also, now you've created ammo for yourself too, where, you know, I think Andy Strickland, we had him on our show this morning. I think he, he explained it best that not only would you have to go to the free agent market and look at, you know, recruiting guys to come there, which I don't think St. Louis has had a hard time doing in, in previous years, but now you're putting together a, a couple of good asset pools too to, to target certain players and trades that you might want to help accelerate this rebuild. And so, you know, look, Doug Armstrong's an experienced GM. Um, I think if there's a guy you want handling this situation, I think he would be uh, the guy most people would pick in doing so. And you just got to trust that what he's doing is going to help, you know, uh, replenish the prospect pool, uh, bring in, um, you know, some established players in the offseason and get this team right back into playoff contention going into next year. Carlo, you've played defense your entire career, so you know the position and how difficult it is. You've seen Blues mm. games this season. What has gone wrong on the defensive side for St. Louis this year? Well, just consistency. Um, you know, that level of consistency, that level of attention to detail just hasn't been there, and I don't know what the reason is for that. Um, I, I know just talking to some people close to the situation that, you know, coming into this season when, you know, you, you basically give Cairo and Thomas the reins to be the face of the franchise, does it ruffle a little bit of the feathers with guys like O'Reilly and Tarasenko and create a little bit of an off feeling within the group? But this team has always had the DNA of being a good defensive team that has relied on strong goaltending. Um, you know, the goaltending has been in question for some of the season too. But, you know, look, I, I think I sort of, um, you know, gave, uh, you know, a little bit of a, a heads up on the situation when the Blues decided to part ways with Alex Petrangelo. Uh, I think you're, you're, you're seeing, you know, the, the, the after effect now of not having that guy around there, a guy that, you know, could be a minute muncher, play all situation and be a stalwart back there. It just seems like no one's been able to, to grasp hold of that, that, that leadership on the backhand and, and be the guy to carry the group during those toughest times. And, you know, it's been a surprise to see how inconsistent the team has been. I mean, a very streaky team starting the season with a couple wins, then losing, you know, six or seven in a row, then winning eight in a row. And it's just, it's been too inconsistent with this group. And you combine that with the injuries that they've been suffering. Um, it's clearly caught up to them at this point. And, Ultimately, you know, I still believe in the coaching staff there. I still believe there's some good players there that can help turn this around. Ultimately, you know, based on the direction they're going right now, it's somewhat of a lost season. So see what you have in some of these younger guys. See what the young, the older guys can do in a leadership role in this situation because it'll give you a lot of information on who you want around past this season.
Carlo Koliakovo is our guest for just another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. Carlo, I remember I was with Jamie Rivers at the time doing the show, and we talked with you, and we, it was going through the whole Petro situation. And if we played mm-hmm. the quote that you said once, we've done it a million times. You said, if you let Alex Petrangelo walk, you're going to be spending the next five to seven years trying to find the next Alex Petrangelo. We're now almost yeah. three years into that process, and they have not found the next Alex Petrangelo. They wanted it to be Pareko. They hoped that maybe Justin yeah. Falk could be that guy. They've used different roles from different players, the exits from their defensive zone from Nick Letty, the power play quarterback with uh, Tory Krug. They've tried all of these different things. It hasn't worked. When you look at what the market is right now, the landscape for defensemen that either are available right now or could maybe become available during the offseason, are there any guys that could be the next Alex Petrangelo for the Blues that could become available to them, in your opinion? Yeah, you know what? That's a really tough question uh, because as you're seeing right now, the trade deadline approaching, what's, what's almost every contending team looking for? You know, a top four defenseman. Mm-hmm. So they don't, they don't, they don't grow on trees, right? That's why, you know, you gotta, you gotta walk a fine line when, when you've got a guy, you know, within your own team, within your own system, and within your own dressing room about what it would look like without him there. And look, you can't blame Doug. Um, obviously, he, you know, the, the team and and Doug had their own reasons why they decided to move on from Alex Petrangelo, especially with a guy like Colton Pareko. Um, you know, in the mix as well, too. And like you said, he hasn't taken that step into replacing Alex Petrangelo. But, you know, it's it's really, really tough to, to see. I mean, is there a guy out there? Do you, do you explore bringing in an Eric Carlson? Do you maybe entertain the idea of going after Jacob Chikrin? I really don't think there's a, a, a you know, a 100% right answer out there. But I think in this situation, you got to continue to explore it. I mean, ultimately, when you find guys like this, you draft and develop them. And it's been, as you can see, it's it's been hard to do that, uh, not just with the Blues, but with almost every team in the NHL, because every team in the NHL wants those guys. That's why, you know, when you have them, you got to find a way to keep them as long as you can. So um, the good thing about what the Blues are doing, I mean, look, they've got three first-round picks right now. Based on what they do with Barbashev, you know, if they can find a way to get another high pick with them, they're restocking the cupboard of draft picks. They've got some good prospects. You know, can you package them into making a big move and bringing in one of those guys in the offseason? Or do you find that guy in the free agent market? Or even better, do you draft them, which for the picks that you're getting in hopefully in a couple of years from now you find that. Carlo, final one for me, and I just want to go back to what you talked about of, you know, that changing of the guard with Kairou and Thomas and, of course, kind of this retool that the Blues have been in. You've been around locker rooms. You've seen this, and a lot of conversations have been surrounding Kairou and Thomas and taking over that lead. How difficult is that for young guys who are kind of put into this position of, hey, the captain's gone. You've got a couple of guys still remaining from that Stanley yeah. Cup championship, but now this is your team. Look, I saw that firsthand in Buffalo when uh, Jack Eichel was there, um, where he came in as a young player and with some experienced veteran guys there, they tried to make him, you know, be the face of everything. And, you know, I remember back in my early days, you know, with Alex Petrangelo, growing up with him, playing at him with him as my D partner, and there was talk about naming the next captain after um, Eric Brewer had, had departed. And I was begging and pleading. I was basically saying, don't make it Alex Petrangelo. He doesn't need that. He just needs to focus on playing hockey. He can be a leader. 
He could be a quiet leader. He can be a complimentary leader. But if you put that extra pressure on a young player, it just it's something that no player needs. And when you talk about Cairo and Thomas, again, this is uh, coming off of an offseason where the team committed to these guys long term. There was clearly a focus and shift of philosophy and culture with those two guys. But it's putting those two guys in a difficult position, too, in a locker room that was basically held strong with guys like O'Reilly and Tarasenko. So did you ruffle any feathers? Maybe. I don't know. I'm not in that dressing room. But that's the fine line you walk when you put so much faith and so much trust in young players, you know, in in a short period of time where ultimately all you want those young players to do is just focus on playing and developing and being star players for you. And then every, all the stars will align after that. So I don't, I don't necessarily worry about the blues because, you know, again, this has been a tough year for them, but they've got some good pieces to build around. Doug's Doug's doing what he can to, to replenish the asset cover and, and the prospect pool. And ultimately the shift in focus is going to be what this team does next year in being a playoff contender again, because I don't see this as a rebuild. I see it as a retool with some good pieces and depending on what else they can do at this deadline, they'll, it'll, they'll, they'll be, I would say two to five steps ahead of some of the other teams that are probably going to be sellers at this deadline. Carlo, we appreciate the time as always, my man, a happy belated 40th birthday to you. And we'll wish you the best. Appreciate it. All right. Enjoy the next couple of weeks. Should be a fun time. Thanks, Carlo. Same to you. That's Carlo Koliakovo, former NHL defenseman. Always appreciate him hopping on with us here on BK and Ferrario. Uh, Alex, I, I think the biggest thing that he said is like, hey, listen, finding the next Alex Petrangelo is tough. And really, if you want to try it with Jacob Chikrin, you, you can do that. If you want to try it with Eric Carlson, sure, you can go that direction, but it's super risky. God, no. Like the the one way that really has been tried and tested is drafting your guy, developing that guy, and keeping that guy internally. And he's right. We talked about this the other day. When you look at the top 10 NHL defensemen in the league right now, according to ESPN.com, the vast majority of them were drafted and developed by the team that they are still with. The hard part about acquiring a defenseman and making him the number one defenseman is what we talked about yesterday with Justin Falk. It's not easy for a guy that you acquire from another team to come to your team and then all of a sudden, hey, you're the face of our defense now. Like, there's a little bit of an acclimation period. Now, it's not the same as Justin Falk was because when Justin Falk came, there was only two guys that weren't a part of the Stanley Cup championship on that roster. It was Falk and then somebody else. Now you're talking about if they trade, let's just say, a Colton Pareko and you bring in a Jacob Chikrin. Well, now you're talking about four guys who are on that team still. So it's a new team. So it might be a little easier. But the reason that teams have success when they draft and develop number one defensemen is because those guys that they drafted, a Drew Doughty, a Victor Hedman, they went through the trials and tribulations of a bad team, and they were the start of turning it around. That's not as easy to do if you just trade and acquire a player like that. Sometimes it works. Dougie Hamilton's a great example, but sometimes it takes a little bit of time. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we continue talking about the Blues defensive core with how they divvy up this playing time the rest of this season. And Marco Scandella is back. What is his value to the Blues? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. 
While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like if casual and cool had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Or would Craig Ruby maybe take out one of his regulars? Would he take out a Nick Letty? Would he take out a Tory Krug? Would he take out Callie Rosen? Would Marco Scandella play the right side with Tyler Tucker? There's a lot to kind of process here. And Scott Perunovic, who's, he was activated from the IR and loaned to Springfield. So all that means is that they're going to give him some more time to play and get some reps down there, which makes complete sense. Now you have a really crowded dance floor up mm-hmm. here. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Yes, we've seen the news from Frank Saravalli. We'll get to that here in just oh, a little yeah, bit. We but did. first, we got to talk about what the Blues are going to do with this defensive core. Alex, they activated Marco Scandella yesterday. They activated Scott Perunovic as well, but they said, eh, young man, stick down in the minors. We'll talk to you in a little <laughs> while. Let's stick with what the Blues have currently available to them at the NHL level. You know you're going to see on a night-to-night basis Pareko and Falk. Those two are going to be in the lineup every single night. Other than that, though, you've got four spots remaining we thought letty krug tucker rose and scandela bortuzzo those are the six players available for the four main spots that you have typically in your in your six defense uh defensemen available to you on a night-to-night basis according to the blues it sounds like the projected lineup is going to be 11 and 7 for tonight so maybe this conversation is completely moot but the way that you view it alex when you look at maybe it's roles maybe it's how you're utilizing these guys How do you go about using these defensemen? How do you want to see them utilized over the course of the next, really like seven, eight games prior to the deadline? Well, for right now, I want them to use Rosen and Tucker as much as possible because I want to know who these guys are. What's the ceiling for these two? It's pretty obvious that Tucker ceiling is a third pairing defenseman because Barubi likes the grit that he provides. Honestly, it's a younger Robert Portuzo. So that seems to be the slated spot for him. Uh, without Tori Krug a couple of games ago, Callie Rosen with skating was Justin Falk. And I didn't think it was the worst pairing out there. Uh, you know what Letty is? Letty's going to be playing like your opinion of Pareko and Falk. That's my opinion of Letty. Letty's going to be out there. Like it or not, he's going to be in your top four. And then if Krug's healthy, you're going to be playing him. So. The hard part is figuring out what you've got in these two lefties. Can Callie Rosen be a top four defenseman? You might not be able to find out because you've got Krug and Letty to play for you. I don't think you're trying to get Tyler Tucker to that level because Tyler Tucker is slated for that third pair. And then entering the chat is Marco Scandella. Now, starting things out, 
don't worry about that because Marco Scan. This is why eleven seven made sense to me all along. Marco Scandella has been out since training camp. Marco Scandella is going to come back tonight if he plays tonight, and he's going to probably play eight minutes because you're going to slow play this guy into this. He's not going to be on the penalty kill the entire time. He's going to be out side, there. At least you're just going up against Carolina. Sure, I, I've great. heard Carolina is not that good, especially offensively. Okay, so you don't have to worry about that very good, much. Good. But. You know what Scandella, Letty, Krug are. You don't know what Rosen and Tucker are, at least for right now. And then Scott Perunovich, and they're doing the smart thing with Scott Perunovich, and we can get into this a little bit later, but they're not even putting him into this situation. They're going to wait until March 3rd, figure out what their team looks like, then give him the spot. But for now, don't worry about Scandella. Scandella's probably going to be that seventh defenseman. I'm focusing on the roles of Tucker and Rosen and what they can be for this Blues team moving forward. Interesting, because I think that is the case for right now. I think eventually Scandella, I I would like to see what he is. I I would like to learn here in the not-too-distant future And it's a weird thing to say about a veteran that's been around for a while, but man, he's still under contract next year, technically for what? $3.7 million. Mm -hmm. This is not, this is basically a guy that has the Nick Letty contract in terms of AAV. And you haven't really seen him the on the set. roster this and the year. the blue set, let's go get another one of those guys. Yeah, exactly. And so I need to find out, Oof. okay, what is he? Is he a guy that is o- o- over Rosen or Tucker on our depth chart or has he been passed, which is totally possible at this point. And if he has been passed, you know what I would like to see them do prior to the deadline? Focus on him. See see what he looks like in a top four type of role or even a bottom pairing role. You talking see, Scandella? Yeah. See if there's any value on the market for him. If you have to eat half of his salary, man, so be it. You got to find out, is there a taker out there somewhere? Because we just talked to Carlo Koliakovo and he said, hey, everybody's looking for top four defensemen. Everybody. Find out if Scandella can be that for somebody. Even if he's not for you, maybe he can be for another team where they're looking for somebody that's got a little bit of size, a little bit of reach, and they get their version of Nick Letty from a year ago. Yes, he has one more year on his contract. For some teams, that might be appealing that he's got another year left as opposed to being a legit rental. You don't need to get a bunch back for him. This isn't where you're trying to maximize return. You're trying to maximize the leverage that you have by having one of the very few defensemen that could become available prior to the deadline. I'm not telling you there's going to be a bidding war for Marco Scandella's services, but if he comes back, plays 8 to 10 minutes tonight, and then over the next couple of weeks he shows, okay, I'm back to form. I can be a helpful piece to a contending team. I think that is the best case scenario for the Blues. So I I would be trying to get him in a lot more playing time over the next couple of weeks. It's the best case scenario. I just don't see it happening because of the injury that's kept him out all along. Teams maybe in the offseason if he performs well the rest of the season, but by March 3rd, I don't see it. Uh, It would not surprise me, though, if in a week Marco Scandella skating with Colton Pareko. Because they've used it in the past. They did it last year in the playoffs a little bit. And at times they've looked good together. Maybe they go back to that. The way I look at the the left-handed defenseman is I put them in groups. You've got your puck movers in Letty and Krug and Callie Rosen and Scott Perunovich. And then you've got your defensive defenseman in Scandella and Tucker. And you got to figure out how you can play all of those guys. Because if you're the offensive puck moving, you're going to see two of Letty, Krug, Perunovich, Rosen. And then you're going to get one of Tucker and Scandella. Scandella's a great penalty killer. Tucker really doesn't do the penalty kill right now, but you want to get him some reps on that. So 
if this truly is an evaluation spot, you're going to be evaluating the guys that you're trying to figure out who they are by next season rather than the guys who you know what they already provide. Coming up in 15 minutes, talk to Jeremy Rutherford about this. Want to get his thoughts on the Blues defensive core, how they play these guys prior to the deadline, and then if any of them could become available at the deadline. We'll talk to JR about that coming up at the top of the hour. But coming up next, yes, we see your questions. Could the Blues reasonably get in on Timo Meyer? At least one national reporter seems to think so. Tell you who that is, what they had to say about it next year on Questions and Answers on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text 314 399 9646. PK and Ferrario's Questions and Answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. In about 10 minutes or so, we're talking to our guy Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic. Want to get his thoughts on the Blues defensive core right now as it stands and what it's going to look like after March 3rd. But right now, let's get to your tax line for from the Air Comfort Service tax line. Uh, this one comes from the 314. Guys, if the Blues were to go back to the trade market before the deadline and try to acquire a player, who do you think that it would be? Alex, I was just listening to Frank Saravalli of the Daily Faceoff. You weren't listening to my Bluetooth live read, man? Wasn't. I'm sure it was wonderful. I'm trying though. to make sure your performance is at an all-time high. I appreciate that. Don't need any help. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I was listening to Frank Saravalli of the Daily Faceoff. He had an update on oh, yeah? one Timo Meyer. Tanner, do we have this? Starting at the five-minute mark of this conversation in his daily face-off video. Radio. Here is what Frank Valley had to say. So this may be the one and only opportunity for the St. Louis Blues, and to take those picks and leverage them to turn essentially O'Reilly and Tarasenko into Meyer, I don't know. It just seems to make a whole lot of sense to me. So he says that the Blues according to his sources, are in on Timo Meyer. Oh, <laughs> he added that if you look back at what the Blues have done with their picks that they got for players in the past at the deadline, the pick that they got for Paul Stastny, they ended up flipping for Braden Shin. The pick that they got for who was it the other year? Uh, I can't remember who it was at the deadline, but they flipped another one and that ended up in part becoming Ryan O'Reilly. So I think the, I think the Stastny one was actually Justin Falk. If I'm not mistaken, because that was the one where they traded up with Toronto, got Dominic Bach, and Bach was the one that Maybe was that's traded what it to was. Falk. And then it ended up and the being other the one, was, one yeah. became eventually Ryan O'Reilly. But there was one that was traded for Braden Chen because Philly got two first round picks. Sure. So the way that it worked out, he essentially went through it and he's like, hey, this is what Doug Armstrong does. He, use, he uses players to become picks, and then those picks that he's able to get, he doesn't use them on the actual pick, he uses mm-hmm. them on players to go get basically repurpose that player for another guy without actually doing it one for one in a hockey trade. Right. How do you feel about it? 
So the Timo Meyer possibility. So a couple of things. Let's start with Timo Meyer in general. That is a hell of a move if Doug Armstrong can do it. He fits the bell of everything Doug said. He's 26 years old, about to be 27. The last two seasons, he has been a point-per-game player. He's also a playoff performer, a power forward who's got scoring ability, and he's better defensively than what some forwards are in the National Hockey League. Couple of things also with that. If you're going to acquire Timo Meyer, it's going to cost more than the two first round picks that you acquired because those two picks are probably 25 to 32 range if the teams go deep into the playoffs. There are uncertainties right now. So you're either going to have to throw in something that's a little bit of a sweetener, whether it's a roster player, a prospect, or your first round pick, which is going to be top 10. Um, that might be the only way that you can accomplish trading for Timo Meyer. The Blues have a history of trading with San Jose in the past. Here's the other problem you got to think into it. This is going to up the ante of teams that feel like they need Timo Meyer. New Jersey is one of them. New Jersey has their first and second round pick in this year's draft. They also have all of their first round picks in the next couple of seasons. And they have a former top pick in Alexander Holtz that they could dangle in front of San Jose. It makes sense for the Blues to get into this. This is how you flip from a what looks to be a rebuild to a competitive team next season. But what's the draft capital? And is he willing to re-sign with St. Louis? Because he wants out of San Jose because they're not a playoff contender and they haven't been a playoff contender. Are the Blues a playoff contender in Timo Meyer's eyes? Those are at least some of the scenarios running through my mind. But it absolutely is something that could be taken advantage of. American Friedman said so yesterday on their podcast. So this one comes from the 314. Guys, but isn't Timo Meyer a free agent? Why not just sign him in the offseason? He's a restricted free agent, Correct. which is obviously a very different situation entirely. If you're not familiar, basically that means he has arbitration rights from his own team. The qualifying offer for Timo Meyer specifically is expected to be around $10 million. So I don't think there's going to be a lot of teams that would be willing to do that. But if, if there's a team that trades for him and then gets him into their system maybe they've got the cap space to be able to do a one-year 10 million dollar deal the expectation is though if he is traded elsewhere he will sign a long-term extension this would be close to the Hampus Lindholm deal that we saw last year at the deadline where he ended up going to Boston and signing that long-term deal with them the I just read a piece on the athletic they're projecting an eight-year deal for Timo Meyer which is the expectation Eight and a half to nine and a half million dollars is what they're saying. They, they think that if it's the nine and a half million dollar range, that's maybe a little bit more on the player friendly side. Eight and a half is more on the team friendly side. My guess probably ends up eight years, nine million dollars per year. Can I give you a tinfoil? Mm-hmm. What if it's Cairo for Meyer? No, I'm not doing it. Two years older than Jordan Cairo. He's been in the league since 2016. I want per game player. I I don't know if you can make both work without taking somebody off of your roster that makes a lot of money. Ready for the Pareko talk again? No. (laughs) Welcome to being a bad team. (laughs) In 15 minutes, we're playing a game of better to forget it. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line. Hey, you want to talk to an expert about this? Yeah. Let's get Jeremy Rutherford on the line. We'll talk to JR about this next year on 101 ESPN. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. 
New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. Plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. One side, Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Always a pleasure to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider for The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter, at JP Rutherford. JR, we appreciate the time as always, man. As you could probably imagine, me and Alex were having an argument off of the air. How you doing today? <laughs> imagine that. Imagine that. What was this one about? Well, <laughs> you know, sure, some, sure. somebody over here thinks Scott Mayfield's a better defenseman no. than Colton Pareko, no, and somebody also thinks said. that Jacob Chikrin's not a number one defenseman. So but it's let's, fine. let's start where we probably need to begin, JR, and then we'll... We'll ramp up to our argument, and you can be the uh, the arbiter on that. Uh, Timo Meyer, is he an interesting player for the Blues in your mind? I definitely think so, and uh, I touched on him. I mentioned his name in a in a column over the weekend because I do think that it does make a lot of sense for the Blues. And in fact, uh, there are kind of rumblings that perhaps the Blues could get involved. You know, I think it's a situation where he would be really, really expensive. Can the Blues afford him? Maybe not. As you guys touched on, you're talking about a nine or ten million dollar player. Uh, his QO, his qualifying offer, is, is ten million. So if you sign him to a longer term deal, maybe you get him a little bit less. But like like you guys said, it's still going to be in that eight, nine, ten million dollar range. I think uh, the Blues have built a lot of draft equity, as we saw the past couple of weeks with these trades. The question would be to me, what would San Jose be interested in? Would they be interested in? A couple first-round picks because the Blues certainly have them to spare and could get another one if they get uh, one for Ivan Barbashev. Or is it more of a first-round draft pick, a Jimmy Snuggerud or Zach Bolduke or someone else, and then probably a lesser prospect too. This is going to be a big package going to San Jose. The Blues definitely have enough, I think, in their pocket to make this happen. It would just be a situation of can they afford Timo Meyer? I tinfoiled it, Jr. so give me the reporters' thoughts on this. Kairou for Meyer. I don't know. Here's what I go back to, and, and I heard you guys ask that question. When the Blues were talking or potentially talking to Calgary about Matthew Kachuk, you know, evidently the Blues did not want to give up Jordan Cairo in that scenario. Uh, I know that the Blues took a little criticism for not having as good of a package as, as what Matthew Kachuk ended up going for uh, because part that they didn't include Jordan Cairo in that offer. So I go back to Doug Armstrong's thinking on that trade. If he didn't want to include Cairo in that, he probably wouldn't want to include Cairo in this. I would think that he'd want to have some sort of foundation. If he were going to go after Timu Meyer, it would be some sort of Cairo Thomas Meyer foundation moving forward. And that was my perspective, JR. Uh, our conversation off air was basically, what does it look like if you were to include a Jordan Cairo in this type of a deal? or So that way you could potentially then also go out and acquire Jacob Chikrin with the picks that they have available to them right now versus just going out and getting a Timo Meyer and then figuring out the blue line later on. That's, that's where I'm at is, 
if you were able to acquire Timo Meyer at the deadline and you end up re-signing him and trying to figure that out and then you, I would assume at that point, have to shed one of those contracts on your blue line, I think your top six is basically set for next year. Now, you got to figure out the bottom six, but your top six would be Saad, Shin, Buchnevich, Thomas, Kairou, Meyer. That's pretty damn good, right? And then the question, though, is how do, what do you do on defense? Because that's a lot of money up front. Yeah, no, it's all going to be a question, especially if, if you're unable to uh, move some salary, which is going to be difficult. And even if you uh, are able to move it elsewhere, did you move one of these defensemen? And we know that uh, it just hasn't worked out defensively for this group. And is this team going to be any better if they're unable to move one of those top four defensemen? I think that's where the salary is going to have to come from if if indeed they're able to make a move for uh, Meyer. You know, I don't know how you move one of these defensemen. We've talked about that at nauseum in the past couple uh, months, but I think it's a situation where that would almost have to happen. You know, in terms of uh, Kyrie, again, going back to that for one second, you know, it depends where Mike Greer thinks they're going to be at with that rebuild and how long it's going to take in San Jose because Kyrie's still a young guy, but I would think if you're San Jose, you're trying to acquire those those draft picks and maybe a younger prospect than where Kyrie's at right now. How realistic is it, JR, by March 3rd, one of these defensemen can get moved by Doug Armstrong? I think I think it's possible, but I, you have to sit here and be realistic. It's an off-season move. Uh, can, can teams make that type of deal in the next couple of weeks? I think if you're going to make that type of deal, it's going to take probably some more time. And you know what's it going to take if Doug Armstrong's trying to use these picks and prospects to see what he can do uh, in order to get someone? We're just continuing to use Meyer as an example here. You probably don't want to include those draft picks in a deal to help move a defenseman. And I think that's going to be the situation. Everything has to happen chronologically. I think that if you go back to the whole Matthew Kachuk thing and not re-signing David Braun, I think there was an order of events there that led to why they did what they did. And I think that's going to be a similar situation here. Doug Armstrong's not going to jump the gun in terms of uh, putting together a package to move one of these defensemen before he knows what he could do in grabbing one of these guys, 23, 24, 25, 26, to fit in that core like you talked about over the weekend. I guess here's the question, though, JR, is do you get yourself into a like an order of operations problem here? Because if Timo Meyer is expected to be dealt by the trade deadline and yet Doug Armstrong has to take more time than that, he has to make it an offseason move to move one of his defensemen, I don't know that you can make that work unless you are willing to get yourself kind of uh, up against uh, your back up against the wall where this offseason, every other team in all of hockey knows you have to shed one of those salaries on your blue line. And now you end up in a spot like Vegas has been in recent years where you kind of have to give away one of those defensemen for nothing when they otherwise might have a little bit of value. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you're 100 percent right. I guess just welcome to Doug Armstrong. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's what he's been dealing with for 20 years as a manager, and it's been even uh, tougher, I'm sure, with the inability to, to move money and then also uh, the flat cap here for the past couple of years and trying to make these moves is, yes, there has to be an order of operation. And I think, you know, to use your scenario there, he would just have to wait uh, until the offseason probably to make that defensive move. You know, I, I don't think that you could do something uh, if Timu Meyer or somebody like him uh, were uh, available. You'd have to prioritize that and just tell yourself that, uh, anything else is going to have to wait until after that. And yeah, will people have leverage on me because of the cap situation for sure. But you don't have that situation or that scenario. If you can't go out and get that 
player uh, to begin with. Jer, on to the ice for the Blues. Marco Scandella looks to be returning going 11-7 tonight. We, we talked about this earlier. The order of operations for defensemen, like they're in this evaluation period right now of figuring out what they have, but you also are, of course, playing NHL games, so Krug and Letty are going to be in there. Perunovic is going to stay in the minors. How do you view them getting these reps for all of these defensemen? Well, the way I view it is they're probably just going to have to monitor Scandella and, and see how it goes. I mean, tonight they're going to go with seven defensemen. I think that was pretty obvious with Scandella coming back uh, after being gone uh, months and months. And congrats to him. It'll be game number 700 in the NHL for him tonight. So uh, I think you guys are right. The minutes will probably be pretty low for him, uh, see how he feels moving forward. If he can help your defense, then he's definitely going to be in there. I think we'll see Perinovich at some point. He's been uh, in Springfield, but uh, after pulling him off of long-term injury reserve, they – uh, a paper transaction reloaned him to Springfield, but we could see him in the next week or two. I think here in St. Louis, I think he's going to get some playing time. I think they want to continue to see what Tyler Tucker can give him uh, moving forward. Can he be a guy that's in that top six, seven? Uh, and then as far as the, the regulars, you know, they're going to be in there. So yeah, there's going to be uh, you know, tight uh, battles, I think for, for ice time and getting guys out there. Uh, but I think all the situations are just kind of different with the injured guys and rookies and, and veterans. And they're just going to take this on a, probably a game-by-game basis. JR, is there anything else out there right now, trade speculation-wise, that you have found to be interesting? I know we'll, we'll find all of your reporting over at The Athletic, and you've done an incredible job of following all of these leads, but is there anything else out there, a nugget or anything that you, you want to pass along to the listeners right now? No, it's just uh, a couple things. One, uh, over the weekend, talking to people uh, for the O'Reilly stuff that we reported, uh, a number of people had heard that the Blues were interested in moving a defenseman, and uh, and I think that that's real. I, I don't think that that's a situation that that should be ignored. You know, we can't underscore how difficult that's going to be, like we just touched on. Uh, but would the Blues be interested in mo- moving one of them? Uh, yes, I think that is possible. And I know we keep talking about the name uh, Chikrin. I had an NHL player text me this week who felt like if you move Colton Pareko and you brought in Jake and Jacob Chikrin, that that might be a lateral type move. So I don't know that that's something uh, that uh, you know the Blues will eventually do. But obviously that's a name that continues to pop up. And then of course the the Meyer uh, speculation too. I think that's going to ramp up. We'd probably have something at the Athletic on that. Um, but I think it goes back to what Doug Armstrong said over the weekend, guys, and I know you guys latched onto it. I can totally see where he wants to take this draft capital and turn that into a guy 24, 25, 26. It fits exactly what he's done in the past. Uh, he did say he wants this retool to be as quick as like a LA Kings one, as opposed to some of the others, the New Jersey's Detroit's so on and so forth. So if I were focusing my thoughts on what the trade possibilities could be for the blues, I would just look at the list of players that that could be in that middle 20 age range who could be available, whether it's uh, Dylan Larkin, so on and so forth. And I'm going to come out with a list of names of those guys in the near future at The Athletic. Uh, but I think that's the, the route that Doug Armstrong is going to try to end up going here. Jay, Jay if you need any uh, work to go off of for your list when you do it, I did a Ferrario 5 yesterday, and let me tell you, I nailed it. Yeah. Brock, <laughs> did Brock Besser was on that list. Mitch Marner, or uh, no, I'm sorry, William, William Nylander was on that list. Oh, there you go. Was that, what about Martin Furk? No, Martin Furk is going to get. Damn it, Jay, Martin Furk is going to get an opportunity. He He's had 30. a hat trick in the first period. <laughs> yeah, no, those are all big names. Besser, you know, Larkin, all those guys. I, th- I think that those are are possibilities. But listen, you lost two uh, 
really good forwards and Tarasenko and O'Reilly. And I realize the Blues have a core with the Kairos and the uh, and the Thomases and even Shen, so on and so forth. But they're going to need some help up there. So we can talk about the defense as much as we can, but this uh, forward group's going to need a little jump too. So so I can see uh, Doug Armstrong definitely. Uh, being interested in Meyer if he can make the money work. Jr. I'll ask you one more question. If you have the wrong one on this, you're never invited back on the show. Well, that's um, not true because it'll uh, probably be my answer, so you'll be invited back, Jr. How, how do you feel about <laughs> Mackenzie Weger? Oh, Jesus. You, you, <laughs> you know what, before I answer, this is the best thing with you guys because uh, you're always on different sides and you always present the argument and ask me whose uh, argument I should believe. And yeah. Sometimes. Sounds <laughs> like me and my wife when we argue. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who's on which side. Uh, no, Weaker, I think, is a guy that the Blues would have interest in. Uh-huh. You know, the thing there is that uh, that long-term deal. So it's uh-huh. similar to Colton Preco. Here's my question on that one. Would a change of scenery, even though Weaker just got to Calgary, uh, would that be a, a situation, you know, Blues move Preco, you know, Weaker comes here? Is that something that uh, the Blues would be interested in? So. I don't know. So how about on this one? I don't take a side. I love both you guys. Smart about that? Is that an answer? No, that's, that's smart, JR. Just plead the fifth decision. so you don't have to listen to BK whine about it. Uh, Alex, Alex just, thinks Uyghur is that. not as good as uh, as Chikrin because Uyghur was picked in the seventh round and uh, Chikrin was picked <laughs> high. So, I mean, you know, kind of presents the, itself, doesn't the it? 2012 draft is what determines the outcome for these two individuals. Hey, JR, so we appreciate mean it. He doesn't like Tyler Tucker, a seventh round pick? Oh, Alex, oh, like I love Tyler Tucker. Damn. He's a third pairing defenseman. <laughs> Jay, I appreciate the time as always, man. All right, see you, boys. You got it. That's Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider for The Athletic. Always appreciate his time joining us here on the show. In all seriousness, I'll get off my McKenzie Weaker high horse. I, My guess is he's 29 years old. That means that uh, Doug Armstrong's going to say, nope, you're an old. I'm not interested in you. Is Doug Armstrong like turning in into Leonardo DiCaprio? <laughs> Where, like, they hit a certain age, and he's like, sorry, too old for me. <laughs> Moving on. I'm not totally sure how I'm supposed to respond to that, given some of the criticism that's come Leo's way uh, in recent Why? years. Um, okay, I think what he said that might get lost a little bit in translation there was he was talking about Jacob Chikrin and the possibility that Chikrin might not actually be all that much better than Colton Pareko. This is something that I know you've mentioned, Alex, and I, I genuinely believe. I think if the Blues traded for Jacob Chikrin, Blues fans would immediately be disappointed by who Jacob Chikrin is. And it's not because he's bad. It depends on what you're trading out and who you're putting in the place. That, that's think why. about the package that we've been talking about. It's first-round pick. No, top but what prospects. I'm saying is if you trade out Pareko and bring in Jacob Chikrin, then I, I do believe you'll be underwhelmed by the defensive core because it's Krug, it's Letty, it's Chikrin, it's Falcon, whom else? That's why I've looked at it as you, you you would have to move somebody off of the left side and bring in Jacob Chikrin, whether it's Krug or Letty. That's where the upgrade comes into play because then it's Chikrin, other left hand defenseman. It's about, it's a, for me at least, the opportunity cost of if you end up trading, what do you think the package would look like for Chikrin? Because they're obviously asking well, for a ton, otherwise he would I mean, have it's what Jeff dealt. Merrick said yesterday. I mean, it's the equivalent of three first round picks. So Snuggerud. Yeah. Uh, first round pick. And then probably another, another first, first round, round pick? pick or Zachary Bolduke or a roster player that's a first round so pick. So I guess it comes down to this. Like, is that all that different than the capital that you're talking about would be likely expected for Timo Meyer? Sounds pretty similar. Well, but at least from what the reports have been on Timo Meyer, they're also asking for a lot in terms of the equivalent of two first round picks. Right. What I'm saying is, what would you rather use that capital for? Because you can't really do it on both. Let's let's assume they're not trading Jordan Kyrou because I don't think they're going to. If you could either get 
Jacob Chikrin or Timo Meyer. I think Timo Meyer is just a better player. Uh, and Timo Meyer fits, I think, into what they need a little bit better. And so, like, the upgrade with that, given the capital, I'm much more likely to go down that path. I also understand that the, the contract has to be discussed here. The, the contract for Chikrin is much more palatable than the contract will be with Timo Meyer. But I, I think Chikrin is like a B player. I think Timo Meyer is a borderline top 10 winger in the NHL right now. And those are, that's just like, if I'm going to make an upgrade on my roster, I'm going for the dude that's a potential blue chip player. And I don't think that Jacob Chikrin for me is. The only reason that, and I'm with you, like if I have the option of Timo Meyer and Jacob Chikrin, I'm taking Timo Meyer every day of the week. But when you go down the path of Timo Meyer, you're adding eight, nine million dollars. Sure, that's a big part. And of it. you're going to have to ship out one of your defensemen and not be able to bring something else in that makes you a better on the defensive side. So your forwards are absolutely better. But you're in the same spot as you were, if not worse, now that you've shipped out a defenseman and have not replaced that. Let me uh, let me say this another way. I think if you get Timo Meyer, you have the potential to be a very good offense, like legitimately an excellent offense in the NHL relative to the rest of the teams around the league. I think whether you have Chikrin replacing Letty or Krug, or you just keep the or if you keep the current core, add in Timo Meyer, and then you switch out Pareko for whoever your middle tier NHL defenseman is, that guy that you signed for like three million bucks. I think your defense is going to be average to bad either way. And so I would just rather be awesome at one thing. And the yeah. one thing that I think this team has the potential to be awesome at this offseason, given one or two moves, is offense. Yep. I don't think that there is a scenario in which this team is a great defensive unit next year. I think it's really hard to imagine that scenario. I don't think Chikrin gets you there. Even my guy, Mackenzie Weger, I don't think gets you there. I thought he was going to say my guy, Oli Mata, gets you there. He, he might get you closer. I mean, um, well, Jamie Alexiak could enter the conversation again if we'd like. I just don't oh, think there's baby. a scenario where this team's good defensively. <laughs> uh, and so with Chikrin, that's, that's probably like hindering my view on him a little I'm bit. with you, but I would just be worried if you're going to get Meyer, you're going to have to trade out something from your defense. Does it get worse? But if your offense is awesome, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe it falls on some of the younger players. Maybe you're playing Callie Rosen, Tyler Tucker, Scott Perunovich a lot more, Marco Scandella a lot more. Maybe the defense is just average, but your offense is one of the best in the NHL. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, what would it look like if the Blues decided to blow all of this up? They say, to hell with what BK and Alex have to say on this. What if we blow up the defensive core entirely? Well, this turned. We'll talk about that coming up in 15 minutes. Better to forget it is next. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up and we're here to make the call. It's BK and Ferrario's. Bet it or forget it on 101 ESPN. Four three nine 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 six four six is the oh, air comfort oh. service text line for bet it or forget it. Let's start with this from the six three six guys. Better to forget it. The Blues' next playoff appearance will not be until at least twenty twenty five. So they miss it next year, and then they get back. I'll forget it uh, because if the Blues have entered this Timo Meyer chat that tells you what direction Doug Armstrong's at least considering going now. If it falls off and he can't make any of these work, then I'd probably uh, bet it. But I'm going to forget this because they're going to make a move, whether it's March 3rd of the draft and the, the Western conference, in my opinion is wide open right now. And I don't know if any significant upgrades are happening. So I'm, I'm going to bet this one. I think they're right back into it next year or forget this one. They're back into it next year. 
Yeah, I, I think I'm going to forget it too because they're in the Simo Meyer discussion. And it makes me think that when Doug Armstrong says, you know, I want to go the LA Kings route, I don't think he means miss the playoffs for three years in a row. I think he means we're going to sneak our way into the playoffs maybe next year, but we'll be back in that kind of cup contention window in three years rather than we'll be back in the playoffs in three years. So I, I'm going to forget this one too. I'm with you. I, I think that it takes... Wait, no, I'm actually not with you. You're, I, I'm, I'm betting it. I, they're going to miss next year. I think they're going to miss the playoffs oh, next year. Here we go. Yeah. This Nancy guy. over here. Come I on, think man. they take one year to to retool. I think that they get this thing back on track next year, and by the end of the season, we're excited for what the following year looks like. But I, I think it's going to take at least another year or so. Not to throw cold water on all of this, but um, bet it or forget it. The reason we're seeing Blues and Timo Meyer connected is more of the reason why it's not going to happen. Basically, the, the Sharks are using this as leverage yeah. for other teams. Yeah. Doug, this I, doesn't get out. I kind of, that's exactly Doug, what I was Doug about to say. Doug doesn't let these get out. This kind of rumor doesn't come out from the St. Louis yeah. Blues. I think this came from the Sharks yeah, end. Sure. Now, the Jacob Chickren yeah. one, it's because been there for hear, two years. This one just popped up. You asked the question, are you sure? The reason I say yes is because we knew O'Reilly was probably going to be dealt, but it came like that, where it was, hey, it's traded. It, was be it March has 3rd. Changed hasn't been recently. leaking. Um, I don't think it has. I mean, I mean, last summer, do you guys remember the whole, like, Blues flirting with Matthew Kachuk sweepstakes? That was pretty public. Yeah. But I think that was more public because there was always the It was the St. Louis connection. I, I think this one is clear because of the connection after the Blues just made the big trade. So or is I, it I'm clear because it. they've got the first round picks? Could be. I'm going to say that I forget it. This this feels like a Doug Armstrong move Man. to me. We went from you being Buzz Killington to me being Buzz, yeah. Killing, Buzz Killington in one in one, in one question. Uh, from incredible. the 636, guys, better to forget it. The Blues offload two defensemen before the start of next season. I'm betting this. I'm not sure that it's the two defensemen that you guys are maybe thinking of in your mind as I say that they're going to offload two defensemen. Scott Perinovich and Callie Rosen? No. I think that yeah. it is very possible, maybe even likely, that Marco Scandella is dealt before the start of next season. And then I would also add in one of your top four is likely dealt before the start of next season. I would forget it. I think you'll see one, and then they'll keep the other core intact. I don't know how much interest there's going to be on Marco Scandella, and, and for what teams would offer, you'd be better off keeping them and selling them at the deadline if your team's not aggressive and he performs well in the first half. Maybe you get another second-round pick for a Marco Scandella at the deadline. Yeah, I think I'm going to forget it, too, because I do think they'll move somebody. I, I just don't know how much I'm kind of with Alex. I, I don't know how much interest there'll be in Marco Scandella. Now, oh, I do think <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I think the Blues would have to eat 50 percent. No of his disrespect contract. to Marco, because Marco, when healthy, he's dealt with a lot of injuries. Yeah, I uh, and maybe that's part of the whole thought process of playing him down the stretch is to see what he has, but also boost that trade value into the offseason. But I think I'm going to forget. I think it's just one of those guys. I think it's either Krug or Pareko is the one that goes. Someone said, Alex, if you think the rumor isn't real that the Sharks are just using this, then how do you think the Blues are back in the playoffs before 25-26? Uh, I said that in my answer that if they don't get the team Meyer, I'm going to bet that they miss the playoffs next year. I think there's going to be other opportunities. Like, if it's not Timo Meyer now, we didn't think that Matthew Kachuk was going to become available last year. Jonathan Huberdeau wasn't expected to become available last season. Mackenzie yep. Weger wasn't expected to become available. And then suddenly, like, weird stuff happens. Mm -hmm. I think this is happening now more than ever in sports, much less just in the yeah. NHL. You see talent leave rather Kevin than stay. Kevin Durant was just traded to the Suns. 
uh, came out of nowhere. Like, we knew there was a lot of stuff going on in Brooklyn, don't get me wrong, but we didn't know that he was for sure going to get dealt at the deadline. Um, Anthony Davis, after, like, five years of being in New Orleans, was traded to the Lakers. I mean, weird stuff happens, and that's the NBA. I know it's different in the NHL. Um, I think guys just, they get unhappy quicker now They want to go where they want to be. They want to go win. Mm-hmm. And if you want to win, there's not many places better to do that, this year notwithstanding, than being in St. Louis. All right, better to forget it, guys. The Blues end up with a top five draft pick this year. I want to remain optimistic in life, so I'll bet it. I'm going to bet this one, too. Uh, the Blues, right? just for what yeah. it's worth, have 55 points right now. Vancouver is currently in the fifth spot with 48. So they're not that far back. Yeah, I mean... In a good way, you're, if you want a top five pick. You're going to move Ivan Barbashev. I don't know. If you, if you get Timo Meyer, it ain't happening because Timo Meyer makes your team a little bit better, and it might breathe some life into a roster that is pretty deflated right now. But as it stands currently, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bet this one because you're going to be a bottom 10 team, and that gives you the percentage to move up in the draft, whether it's for the top pick or even into the top three. And my tinfoil conspiracy theory is the draft is rigged and the Blues are going to be selecting either first or top three. So if the Blues decide to trade off Barbie, some of us have been saying that for a while, and then they decide to continue making moves, what does that look like? That's a question that we want to ask coming up next. What's it look like if Doug Armstrong decides, you know what? Bleep this. I'm blowing this thing up. Wow. We're starting over. It's aggressive. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario, he's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Hey. 314 comfort service text line to get involved in the show. The praise coming in from all directions. From the 618. Are you reading the same one that I am? Good God, guys. Break up the blues talk. Talk a little Cardinals. We will. We'll, we'll talk a little Cardinals coming up at 1 o'clock. Did you did, miss the open? Did you see the Saravalli bomb that just dropped a little bit ago? Listen, man. The Cardinals are at spring training. If you want us to talk about the competition between Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill, hey, check out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you can go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. And also next week because our top 20 most important Cardinals players starts. There is going to be plenty of time to talk about the Cardinals. I promise you, you will find no show on this station that talks more Cardinals than our show does during the summer. But when the Blues are in the conversation, and by God, they're not going to be a whole lot of a conversation point after March 3rd. I'm going to be totally honest with you guys. That's true. We're going to go ahead and and utilize this while we've got the opportunity. March 4th until the draft when the Blues are selecting Connor Bedard. That's right. So right now, the big conversation is what the bleep are the Blues going to do going into the trade deadline? And Alex, I think there's a million different directions they could go. Honestly, after what they have done so far and the opportunities that are going to be presented to them, could they get in on Chikrin? Yeah, they could. Could they get in on Timo Meyer? Absolutely. If the Detroit Red Wings find out, hey, we're not going to be able to re-sign Dylan Larkin, do they look to explore a potential trade for him? Maybe. I wouldn't think so, but possibly. There's a lot of opportunities that could come up for the Blues over the next couple of weeks. Now look at the, look at the opposite end, because we've talked a lot about Chikrin, Meyer, etc. What if the Blues just decide, you know what? Let's really tear it down to the studs. 
and we'll build this thing back up in the offseason. What would that look like? Who would they move off of the roster? Well, we know Ivan Barbashev is likely to be a part of that. We've talked about do they move one of their defensemen. Alex, what if the rest of the league actually values these these defensemen more than we think? Is there any scenario in your mind where it would make sense to move not only a Tory Krug, but also then a Colton Pareko? Is there a way where that could be the best thing for the Blues in the long run? It could if you're ready to go down a five to seven year rebuild plan, because that's what you'd be doing in that circumstance, in my opinion, because in this spot, if you're moving those two players, you're looking at your young prospects and saying, now's your time to take over. You're looking at Scott Perunovich. Uh, you're looking at Matthew Kessel. There's a couple of other guys that the Blues could be saying, like, this is your opportunity to shine. Callie Rosen, Tyler Tucker. Uh, if you're going to go down that path, this isn't an L.A. Kings plan. This is a Chicago Blackhawks plan. Whoa. And I, I don't know if you want to go down that path. Because if you go down that path, then the window of you winning with Thomas and Cairo in their prime might not hit until they're 30 years old. Oh, we're just talking about trading Krug and Pareko, well, right? Yeah, but what's your defense? Well, I, I I, guess here's the, let's go down this path. Do you think that Perunovic is going to be significantly worse than Tory Krug? If he stays healthy, no. But it's hard to predict injury, so let's assume health. Then no. I, I, I believe he, yeah, I believe he could have the same career as Tory Krug. Then it really comes down to, can they replace Pareko? And my my answer to that is, I think they can do not a whole lot worse for a significantly cheaper price. And that is where I get into, I think it could be healthy for the long-term outlook of this team to look at this possibility. Because you do have somebody internally in Scott Perunovich that has a similar skill set, although not equal, similar skill set to what Tori Krug brings to the table. I think Perunovic is probably going to be best served in a bottom pairing role where he's not playing a ton of ice time at five on five, but you do get the most out of him on the power play where he's really excelling. And so maybe you do need that that second pairing defenseman still on the left side. And that's where like an Oli Mata type maybe makes some sense for them. He's not available, man. He just signed a contract extension with really? Detroit. Damn it. You missed it? It's a two year deal. That's unfortunate. He's a pillar for that, like for, that. He's a pillar for that organization. But you go shorter term, and it, it's kind of like a Letty type of a deal, right? Three, three million bucks, three and a half million bucks. Maybe it ends up being Scandella type, somebody like that. And then it comes down to can you get like a, a Scott Mayfield or something equivalent at another three and a half ish million dollar per year basis? And now you've saved six million dollars on your blue line compared to having Krug and um, Pareko on the blue line for the next four years at their six and a half million dollars a piece. Can you repurpose that six million dollars to be a really good forward for you? That's where I think it does get kind of interesting is are we significantly worse defensively? I don't know. You might be okay. Are you a lot better offensively with that six million dollar forward? That's where I think it does become a possibility. Yeah, I mean, you're opening up 13 million dollars if you move both of those players and if you add a Scott Mayfield for three million dollars you're talking about 10 million that you could spend on a forward there but I, I just and this is just you and I on different paths and a lot of people are on the side of you and I, I'm in a minority but if you want to stay competitive Colton Pareko needs to be on this team because Colton Pareko although a lot of people will scream it from the mountaintops he doesn't use these assets 
We've talked with Jeff Merrick. We've talked with multiple individuals who have said he would be one of those moves that the Blues would look at and say, man, we shouldn't have moved him because he's going to go somewhere and he's going to be successful in the spot that they're putting him in. The problem for Colton Pareko right now is you're using him as a number one defenseman and he's just not a number one defenseman. That's the issue you got to find. So when you don't have that guy, you got to build the right pieces around him. And I personally don't believe they have the pieces around that to work. If Does your opinion change if they get Chikrin? With Pareko still on the roster? No, you're you're replacing Pareko essentially. It's a different spot because it's the left side as opposed to the right. But nope. your top pairing is now Chikrin with Falk. No, because I think Chikrin and Kruger are the same players. Expand on that. How so? They're both offensive defensemen. And if I'm acquiring a Jacob Chikrin, I'm looking at a pairing of a Chikrin and Pareko as my top unit and then a Falk and Letty as my second unit. And I'm able to uh, use these guys in different situations and have a little bit more identity rather than you have a guy who can only really play in the offensive zone. And Chikrin, despite what some believe, Chikrin is a good player in his own zone. Um, I believe that pairing makes you more competitive. I just, like I said, I, I might be super high on Colton Pareko, and like next year could be the difference for me. If if we get the same thing next year from Colton Pareko, then I will come on these airwaves and happily admit that I was incorrect. This season is an outlier, in my opinion. The whole off season, the whole season has just been odd. Colton. So he- Pareko is one of those guys that I, I believe if you want to stay competitive and make this a quick turnaround, you got to have him on your team. My concern with Pareko, and it's kind of the conversation we've had, if you want to do a cross-sport comparison with Dylan Carlson, is this. I think Pareko is not the problem for the Blues. I, I think Pareko is a perfectly fine player. I think Pareko, in a, in a best-case scenario, is probably a second-pairing defenseman. Um, I, I think Pareko can be a, a number-two defenseman in a lot of situations. I think the problem is you got Justin Falk, who is kind of in the same spot where in a best case scenario is probably a second pairing defenseman in a good scenario. He maybe is a, a number two defenseman. Both those guys are on the right side. And I don't really know how you upgrade for them without shipping out probably one of the two of them. So it really becomes a question of who do you feel more comfortable building around on the right side? Pareko versus Falk. For me, I feel more comfortable with Falk building around him because of the the le- less of a track record with injuries. I think he's a better player. I think he makes more sense for this for the skill set that the NHL is now leaning upon where he is a little bit better of a puck mover in my opinion. And I also think he has the ability to help you on the power play where I do not think that Pareko necessarily helps in that regard. I would rather build around Falk on that side. And so I guess that's that's where I I differ a bit is if I can upgrade from somebody on my blue line, I think it is I'm getting the Krug skill set from Perunovic for cheaper, and I'm upgrading from Pareko to getting hopefully a legitimate number one defenseman. I don't know who that player is, but if it ends up being a Chikrin, for example, if the Blues are back in on him, maybe that's the way that you do it. I know that you'd like to have him paired with Pareko, I think the pairing might be Chikrin with Falk, and then you figure out how to pair somebody else with Nick Letty. I I look at it as if I'm going to build around the defensive core, I'm building around my two right-handed defensemen in Pareko and Falk, because last season I would have argued Falk is your number one defenseman and Pareko is your number two. Uh, and Krug, who played very well with Justin Falk last season, would have been up there with him. But injuries dipped off, whatever that might be. I would view it as build around these two 
and find a way to move the other left side so that Scott Perunovich is one of those pieces and insert name here, whether it's Jacob Chikrin, whether it's somebody in your system, whether you sign somebody like we've talked about to fill Pareko's shoes, do that on the left side. So let's talk about this for a second, going down that path with you. You've got Chikrin, Letty, and Perunovich going into next year on your left side. Mm-hmm. You've got Pareko, Falk, and insert player here, Rosen, Bortuzzo, Scandella, Tucker, whoever you want it to be, that final spot. Is How do you view that defensive core? I view that defensive core... Because that's it. If you if you lock yourself into that, that is your defensive core for the long term. Yeah. And I, if it's I, not I, good enough, you might be stuck. Yeah. I, I would prefer somebody in the spot of Nick Letty because I you got three guys that are playing... Like, I would prefer... In that scenario that you're talking about, I would look at it as my top pair of a Chikrin and a Pareko, my second pair of a Perunovic and a Falk, and then a third pair of, if Letty's still on the roster, Letty and Tucker. I feel much better about that defense than the last two seasons looking at the defense that the Blues had because I have two guys that can play a lot of minutes. We've seen that from Pareko. Jacob Chikrin can also do that. Chikrin's your power play quarterback. He's had success on that in Arizona. He's also a guy who could do the penalty kill. You've got your penalty killers in Colton Pareko and a Justin Falk slash Tyler Tucker, wherever you're going with that. I just feel like that has more of an identity as a defensive core rather than a Falk Mayfield Krug Perunovich. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. Coming up here in about 10 minutes or so, we'll talk about the Cardinals leaning in heavily to the Dusty Blake um, candidacy of potentially the best pitching coach in all of Major League Baseball. We'll discuss that coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. This comes from the 618. Guys, BK just wants six defensemen that, that are all offensive-minded. He doesn't consider that anyone actually has to play in their own zone defensively. that's not how I feel at all. Um, And I should explain kind of where I'm coming from. If you continue on with the model that has Colton Pareko and Justin Falk, and then you bring in, let's say a Chikrin, uh, you still got Letty on the roster. You're paying those guys a combined 22 ish million dollars as four defensemen with the way that the cap is right now. That makes it really hard for you to be able to continue improving up front with your forwards. I think the NHL is moving in a direction where it is becoming more and more difficult to have an advantage defensively. I think that the NHL is moving to where it is better to have an advantage offensively with the skilled forwards that you have available to you. So as I look around the league and I'm looking at these teams that are really good right now, what do they do? How are they winning? Well, they're scoring a ton of goals. They've got a great goalie in net and then they have puck moving defensemen that are able to join the rush that are able to move the puck up the ice as quick as possible. And so when I look at a guy like Colton Pareko and I look at what the Blues have right now on the blue line, I don't know that they fit in that, into that criteria and they're getting expensive and these guys are all getting older. And so as I look at, OK, how do you rebuild this thing moving forward? I would rather rep- repurpose that money that I'm currently spending on the blue line to maybe get worse there. And that is totally a risk. But I'm going to have shorter term deals where I can remake that on the fly if I need to. And I'm going to repurpose that money up front. So I'm not just getting worse on the blue line. I'm also improving my forwards. I'm trying to get maybe more well-rounded forwards as well. 
Maybe you're able to get other guys that are more responsible in their own zone. And so you do have that five-man unit that is defending in their own zone, and then they get out and they attack the rush. So that, for me, would be the way that I would be trying to build this team in the future. I don't know how likely that is. I don't know how tough that's going to be. It's going to be very tough for Doug Armstrong, but that is just philosophically the way that I'm viewing this. And it is different, and it would very much alter the identity of what the Blues are. I mean, right now, though, let's be honest, I don't know that they have much of an identity. So I think that's the way that I would attack it going into the offseason. Yeah, they don't have an identity, and they got to figure out what that identity is. Colton Pareko is a really good puck mover. He just got away from it this season. But I could say the same thing. I mean, we talk so much about Colton Pareko. Justin Falk is having just as bad of a season as Colton Pareko right now. So uh, you don't have anybody playing well enough to sit there and say, we can build around those players. I just look at certain skill sets. And it's a lot easier to find a five foot eleven, six foot defenseman who can play power play quarterback and in the offensive zone than it is to find a six foot six defenseman who's got speed, length on on his reach, and also somebody who can play both sides. But again, the outlier is this season. He's not doing that. If he does it again next year, then you're right. If you go down this path of getting rid of Krug and saying we're gonna build around this, and Pareko doesn't live up to it next year, then you're stuck. Yeah. But Again, I think you're stuck either way. You got to hope that whomever you trade, you get something in return to help your defense. But it's also a wake up call to the other defenseman that says we need you to be better because if you play like this, it doesn't matter who we go out and acquire. We're going to be stuck. Final thing on this. Somebody on the text line asked, didn't we have your forwards that you're talking about last year when they had 920 goal scores? Absolutely. And they outscored their mistakes defensively. And that's what I would be hoping that they could do again next year. It's risky. It's a totally risky proposition. I am admitting that up front. But that would be the way that I would try to build in today's day and age. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we all know the Cardinals don't have a whole lot of swing and miss in their rotation. What does that mean? How are they trying to be able to mask that over? Kind of like outscoring your mistakes in the NHL. Are the Cardinals trying to do that with their pitching staff? We'll talk about it coming up in 10 minutes. The Junk Drawer is next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer. Alex, what do you got for us today? So guys, there's a reason that I don't like going to art museums or looking okay. at art. Find it boring? Okay, there's two reasons why I don't <laughs> like going to art museums oh, or looking at art. There's a second reason outside of that? Yes, uh, because I don't trust myself to not bump into something and knock it over. Oh no. And there's a story in Miami... That just made it very clear I will never step foot into an art museum ever again. Oh boy. So a woman who was walking around, she accidentally bumped into a balloon dog sculpture that fell over and shattered, and she found out that it was worth $42,000. And before she could leave, she had to set up payment with oh, that individual. No. Now look, I consider myself not the clumsiest person in the world. But I'm a pretty big dude. Not fat. Tall. Not really tall. Whatever. I walk with my arms. I'm Italian. I talk with my arms. So if I got to navigate my way through an art museum where there's sculpture sitting around 
and I knock casually one over, I'm bankrupt. And I'm going yeah. to be living bankrupt for the rest of my life. So Dude. rather than go bore myself in an art museum, I just, uh, somebody tell me about it. Can you imagine? 42 grand. And it was an accident, too. Like, I mean, I, I get it, though. Like, if you're... Yeah, if you're the artist artist and you have this thing that is worth $42,000 that you spent God only knows how much time creating and you have it set up and somebody knocks it over, somebody has to pay for that. Unfortunately for this individual, it's a terrible accident, but yeah, I, I get why for both sides it sucks, but you have to do that. But boy, howdy, 42 grand. I don't know how you do this. I, I mean, I could only imagine somebody coming up to me and saying, uh, I, I get that that was a mistake and, and it's, it's okay, but I need $42,000. I, yeah, I want to know how I would that look conversation at the, went. I would look at that individual, slap them in the face, and run out the door as fast as possible. I was about to say, do you, like, do you try to run? Well, I, I they got sure cameras everywhere. Yeah. And there's probably police around, too, security that stops you. I, I mean, I just don't know what I would do because I don't have $42,000. Like, you'd have to set up a payment plan. I think I would have been on, like, my hands and knees and, like, wrapped myself around Whoa. their leg and been, like, crying. Oh. Please don't make me pay $42,000. And they would probably say, don't knock over an art, or art sculpture. Guys, which I'm, is- not, I'm not going to lie. I uh, Just give people a sneak preview of what it's like around our in the building here at 101 ESPN. We've got guitars that are hanging up on the wall. Oh, don't dude, think they yeah. cost $42,000. Oh, don't I, laugh that you walk by and you strum one of the guitars with your finger every time. No, but I almost took one out when I went to the break room during one of our commercial breaks of the show. I was talking to Jackson. I happened to turn to my right, and there was a guitar basically in my face. You're more of a clumsy walker than I am. And I almost took it out. I don't think it would have cost me $42,000, but I'm sure it would have come out of my paycheck. Someone said, wasn't it insured? At least it didn't say in the article in the New York Times. In this post that I just saw, um, a separate artist unsuccessfully tried to purchase what remained of the sculpture. Uh, He later told the Miami Herald that the story added value to the sculpture itself. Uh, The pricey sculpture is indeed covered by insurance. Quote, it's broken, so we're not happy about that. But then we are a famous group of 35 galleries worldwide, so we do have an insurance policy. We will be covered by that. So then why this person have to pay the 25 or the In the article that I read said that they told her you got to pay this money before you leave. Maybe they found, maybe that's one person said it. Because they panicked when it broke, and then they found out that it was insured, and then they moved on from it. Yeah. Regardless, uh, my life would be over if somebody said that, which, again, is why I don't go to art museums. Yeah, that that's brutal. Mine's cool. just they're boring. Somebody else said, though, on that's the text true. line, $42,000 statues uh, should not be sitting out where they could easily be that's knocked a over. But that's a museum. Also on the museum. That's what they do at art yeah, museums. They sit it that, out there. Shouldn't you put that, like, in a glass case? There was a little bit of, like, a... Yeah, I was going to say. Not a case, but... A it's, cover on it. Yeah, on one side, it's like a like an L shape. But glass. if you bump into it enough, gotcha. it's gonna move, and it's yeah. it's not like it's it's welded down to the to the uh, display. I would be curious if there's more to this story than they're leading on right now, where it's like the guy was drunk or something and kind of like leaned over into it. Because then in that scenario, that's on you. 
But I, I wonder what the rest of this story is. It, it always feels like there's a little more than meets the eye. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're diving into some was NFL quick hitters. Was that a no, no, was no. that a spray bottle moment? I promise you this was not. Okay. Maybe it sounded like that, but I can't handle well, what you hear, only what I say. I, well, I abuse the spray bottle every once in a while, so I just need to understand what yeah. I'm using it That's for. That's why we're getting a second spray bottle for you. <laughs> there's going to be too many spray bottles in here. In 15 minutes, what does Lamar Jackson's future hold and... How does the uh, Sean Watson sweepstakes from last year play into his upcoming future? We'll talk about that coming up in about 15 minutes. But next, the Cardinals are leaning heavily into the Dusty can fix it lane. Are they leaning too heavily in that direction? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. So how are the Cardinals going to get swing and miss out of their rotation this year? This actually expands all the way to the bullpen, but it starts with the rotation where according to the Zips projection, Zip, 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 everybody! According to the Zips projection, the Cardinals have the second worst strikeout rate in all of baseball for their rotation. The bottom five, these are not teams that you want to be paired with. Are you sure? The Rockies. Oh, yeah, you don't want to be on that team. The Royals. Oh, God. The Oakland A's. And the Detroit Tigers are the bottom five teams when it comes to strikeout rate from their rotation. Detroit's an up-and-coming team, though. They were supposed to be last year. How'd that go? Well, it's it's sometimes up and coming takes a couple of years. <laughs> Their rebuild started, it went poorly, and now they're like, uh oh, we went off this roller coaster. <laughs> Here they we probably, go again. They probably really need a bad. shortstop, don't they? It's really bad if you got to rebuild the rebuild. It's not what, <laughs> what you, do you call the rebuild of a rebuild. Uh, tank. Poor ownership. Um, tank, tank, yeah. tank, 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 tank. So how do they correct this? How do they get more out of their starters that are in their rotation? The Cardinals, that is. Well, according to a lot of the reports coming out of spring training, the answer is in the coaching staff. And this comes from Katie Wu's story recently. She was able to talk with Ollie Marmol about the Cardinals swing and miss because he talked about this a ton last year. And then they didn't really add anybody to the mix, especially when it comes to their rotation. He said this, quote, a big part of us naming Dusty Blake as the pitching coach was specifically to answer that question, to be able to take a deeper dive into some of the underlying metrics to see where there is an opportunity for us to increase our swing and miss, but also for the areas where we're already good and how to make us great in those areas. There are some areas within our starting rotation, especially where we do believe that we can increase the swing and miss rates. That comes from Ollie Marmel. Again, this goes back to our conversation that we've had a few times already during the offseason, Alex, of Dusty Blake has been tasked with improving this pitching staff to a degree that I'm not sure anybody is capable of improving them. When you look at the rotation, you see guys like Michaelis, Wayno, Flaherty, uh, Montgomery, and Mats. Do you see them being able to get enough swing and miss out of them? I see more swing and miss from Montgomery than what he had last year, which is saying a lot because he was the swing and miss guy when they acquired him. I see more swing and miss because you have a full season of Jack Flaherty. I don't see any swing and miss above what we expect from Adam Wainwright. Maybe with Miles Michaelis, but I mean, you got to squint to see that, and I don't see it with Steven Matt. So it seems they're relying a lot on the health of Jack Flaherty to provide that. The 
longevity of having a Jordan Montgomery for a full season to provide that. But are we also looking at the Dusty Blake scenario like we looked at the Jeff Albert scenario? Or maybe we're not looking at the guys that are on the roster right now in the rotation right now, but you're looking at the pieces that can be a asset or a complementary piece throughout the longevity of a season. Is he going to be able to get more out of Zach Thompson, Matthew Libertor, Andre Pallante, like those guys? Is that the extra swing and miss stuff that we're not considering from Dusty Blake? Because I don't know how you could sit there and say, well, he's going to get more swing and miss stuff from Adam Wainwright. Adam Wainwright is going to stick with what he does best. The same can be said about Miles Michaelis, and we really didn't see much of Steven Matt. So there's only two guys that I look at and say you're going to get more swing and miss from that are guys you expect to be on the roster. Yeah, I, I don't know if you're going to see a massive increase in the swing and miss that they're tasking Dusty Blake to get. I mean, their goal should be to get around league average, I would say, with their swing and miss. And I just don't think they can do that with the guys that they've got on the roster. I, I just don't see them getting enough of that uptick in terms of guys from, like, Montgomery, you said, is a good example. Steven Match is another one of those that I think they're hoping to find more swing and miss. I think Michaelis Wainwright, I, I think you know what you're going to get from them. And I'm not throwing Flaherty's name into this conversation because when he's healthy, I think I know what his swing and miss is, and it's the best on the team. And then you look at the bullpen, and it's, okay, I can see where, you know, Helsley's going to give you that. Gallegos has got a little bit of that. Can can you get uh, what you got from Jordan Hicks in the second half of the year where his swing and miss rate did go up? Maybe that's someone that they're looking at. Thompson, maybe he's that guy from the left side that you're looking at. Cabrera, maybe if he bounces back. But even all those names that were mentioned, can they get into that top 15 conversation? I don't know. they got a lot of pitch-to-contact guys. I, I, I think you're asking, it almost feels like they're asking Dusty Blake to fit our, our a round peg into a or not a round square peg, peg, a square peg, peg into a round hole. Yeah, or a round were, peg into a square hole. Yeah, you were well, totally on the right path. One or the other, mm-hmm. but it, that's that's what it feels like, and I, I just don't know if he can get them to the point where I think they hope they can be at, which I think is around the midway point. I think that's unrealistic to say, hey, let's go from bottom five to top five in a year with the same pitching yeah. staff, essentially. I, I think it's even too much to say, hey, let's go from bottom five to middle of the pack. I, I just don't see it with this staff. I've got a path for you. For this staff to be better than all of us are expecting. If it's signed Andrew Chafin, sorry. <laughs> it's, what about uh, Matt Moore? It's just a comparison. It's not about going out and signing anybody. I'm going to take you on my uh, way back machine. I don't want to go into that with you. To a, the year that was 2015. Wow, T-Bone was like five then. You may remember the season. It went pretty well for the Cardinals. I was in high school. 100 games. In my prime. That was great. Regular Chick season magnet. was outstanding. Yeah. John Lackey was at the front of that rotation. Oh, man. You had Michael Walker, Lance Lynn, prime Carlos Martinez, had a 3-0 ERA in 175 innings that year. And that was the only season. Struck out in, uh, a, a batter per nine, or every every inning, nine per nine innings. And then you had Jaime Garcia, who was always hurt. Oh, Jaime Garcia. But my God, when he was healthy, was he extraordinary oh, that season. Are you going to comp Jack Flaherty to Jaime Garcia? No. Maybe. Crap. Uh, but no. <laughs> um, when you look at the strikeout rates from that rotation, they were not good, guys. This is the strikeout rate for the starters that season. The The best on the team was 25%. That was Carlos Martinez. After that, Lance Lynn, 22%. Michael Walker, 20%. John Lackey, 19%. Jaime Garcia, 19%. 19% is what they're projecting this season for Miles Michaelis. And we know he's not exactly a guy that gets a ton of swing and miss. So if you're looking for, okay, what's the formula? How does this team outperform a lot of the expectations that we're talking about? It's reverting back to the formula from 2015. 
that rotation, honestly, is not all that dissimilar from what I'm expecting out of them this year, or at least what a reasonable expectation could be for this group. Carlos Martinez that season is basically your Jack Flaherty this year. Like, when healthy, when right, it could go really well for you. And you could see how that guy could be, like, whether you want to call him an ace or the leader of the, the number one on the staff, they could be that guy at their best. Lance Lynn is kind of your equivalent of what you're expecting this season from Miles Michaelis. Uh, Michael Walker in this scenario would be not really Montgomery, I guess. John Lackey is your Wayno equivalent. And then Jaime Garcia is your Steven Matz. The comparison is not all that hard to be able to see what you could get out of them. Everything went right for that team. Health was there. They ended up having a very good defense behind them. And it ended with all of them having ERAs that were better than expected going into the season. The ERAs on that team were 2-7-3-0-3-0-2-4-3-4. Can you see that for this team, Alex? Can you see how that would be like the best case scenario for this club? And if so, what does that mean for you? I couldn't because... I look at it as this team has a better defense than that team. And that's saying something to be able to, to, to know that you now, I guess the question also comes in or the argument comes in of their catcher is worse off in terms of working with the pitchers. Sure. Cause you had Yadier Molina compared to Wilson Contreras, but I, I think they could be close. I think if I remember correctly, that was a historical season for a pitching staff for the Cardinals. I don't think you can get to that level. All five of those guys started 20 games, which first of all, that is a remarkable achievement. Four of them started at least 29. I could see it though. I could see them getting very close to numbers like that because they, like I said, it, to me, it's defense. When you've got Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt at the corners, we're going to see a lot more of Tommy Edmond at shortstop, who, in my opinion, is uh, probably their best option there. And then the outfield will play itself out, whomever takes over center field. So, yeah, I could see that if health is on their side because they've got the talent in all five of those pitchers for the rotation. Yeah, I, I just don't know if I, I see it for the rotation. I, I don't think it'll be as good as that 2015 one. I, I don't know if it'll be... I don't know if I want to say I don't think it'll be close, but I, I just don't think it'll be one that we look back on the end of the year and go, hey, that was like what the 2015 totally rotation was. I, I just don't know if a rotation can do that again like that team did because, as you said, that was an unbelievable year that you saw where you had four guys making 29-plus starts. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I still think this rotation is good. I just don't think it's going to get to the level of what 2015 was. I, and I agree for what it's worth. I'm just saying, like, what is the best-case scenario? They can get I, as I close to that as possible. I think there's a lot of people that have been talking about the downside of the rotation. Well, we should also, on the other side, look at the upside. And for most of the projections out there, they won't see a whole lot of upside in this rotation because of the lack of swing and miss that they have available to them. That's it, though. If you want a comparison, you don't have to look that far back in Cardinals history to be able to find that. And for what it's worth, if you if you want to see, OK, is there a projection system out there that is a little higher on the Cardinals than most? Earlier today, over on The Athletic, Eno Saris put out his projections. And you guys, we, we love having Eno Saris on. We'll have him on again here in the not-too-distant future to talk to him about these pitching numbers that he has for the Cardinals. Here are the ERAs that he has projected for the Cardinals starters. Tell me if you guys would sign up for these. Jordan Montgomery, 3.3. I'd sign up. Jack Flaherty, 3.7. I'd sign Oof. up. I'd expect a little Boy, bit Boy, I was going to say, I hope that's better than that. I would take it just because he hasn't been healthy. It's pretty good. Adam Wainwright, 3.6. I'd definitely take that. Yep. Steven Matz, 3.5. I'd take that. Miles Michaelis, 3.9. I would take I that. I would say that needs to be better. I would hope it's better, but if you've got those other four being where they were, you've got five starters that are projected with a sub-four ERA. 
It's pretty damn good, man. Pretty damn good. I'd feel pretty confident that that's going to happen this season. If it does, then if, the Cardinals are going to be better than everybody's predicting. Which then, is and what they have I've a been chance saying to be able to win a hundred games. Which is what I've been saying all along. I'm just I'm not as down on this pitching staff as so many people are because they've got the talent in place. It all comes down to being healthy. If you can't get health, then things go haywire because now you're relying. Although they do have the ace in the wing waiting, Dakota Hudson. But when you're going deep into that depth pool and bringing up Drew Verhagen's name as an option to start, then there's a problem. But if we're staying healthy. I look at a Cardinals team and I say they could have a better rotation than what people are giving them credit for. So we got this from the 618. Guys, can we please stop shining the turd that is this rotation and comparing it to an all-time group from 2015? Can we be honest about that 2015 rotation? They outperformed any reasonable expectations that year. That was like when we talk about the, the range of outcomes for a group where it's like the 90th percentile outcome is what they did in 2015. John Lackey was a very good pitcher, expecting a 2.7 ERA out of him that season and 33 starts, 220 innings. Completely unreasonable for anybody to have expected that. Michael Walker, really nice young pitcher at the time. Nobody thought he was going to go out there and throw 30 games with 180 innings with a 3.3 ERA. Carlos Martinez, really nice young starter. We had no idea what to expect out of him at that point in his career. Lance Lynn, I think everybody kind of knew what he was at that point. And then Jaime Garcia, it was one of the best seasons of his career when it came to effectiveness, but he had the same issues as previous years when it came to his injuries. 90th percentile outcome for that rotation. What does the 90th percentile outcome look like this year? It looks like that. Because even at their best in 2015, they didn't have the strikeout rate. It wasn't as if they were overwhelming or dominant in that regard. They just were super effective. They pitched to contact, they racked up the innings, and they got the wins. That's what it looks like this year in a best-case scenario. All right, coming up in about 15 minutes or so, what would it take for Jordan Cairo to get involved in the top 10 NHL winger conversation? ESPN put out their top 10 wingers earlier today. I'll tell you what we would have to see to be able to put Jordan Cairo into that conversation coming up in about 10 minutes or so. But coming up next, NFL Quick Hitters here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. All right, it is time for some NFL quick hitters. Let's start with the story that I think is going to dominate the offseason, Alex, and that is Lamar Jackson. According to Jeff Darlington of ESPN and ESPN.com, Lamar is not expected to play on the franchise tag this year. Doesn't matter which tag they give him, the 30 million, the 40 million, it doesn't matter. He ain't playing on that. According to Jeff Darlington, we'll see if that ends up being the case. Alex, this is going to continue being in the news all offseason. If the Ravens, according to Darlington, aren't willing to give him something similar to the Deshaun Watson deal, he is not signing on the dotted line, and he is not going to show up. Where do you think this ends up going this offseason? Boy, I, I could see it going both ways, where they give him the money, or he says he's going to get traded. The only way he says he's going to get traded is if they don't give him the contract extension. Right. And I just don't see how Baltimore can refuse to give him the contract extension. I know a lot of people are going to look at Lamar Jackson and say, you know, suck it up and get on the field with the franchise, ta- franchise tag. You haven't done anything. But if I'm him, 
I'm thinking about the longevity. Also, he won an MVP. Right. So he's, he's done some stuff. Yeah, but you know how people go. It's it's postseason success. I, I, I credit him for doing this because this is your career, and your career could be over after this season. And you know what? Yeah, them's the cards being a professional athlete, but you got to secure yourself for how hard you've worked your entire career to get to this point. And he's earned the right to get a contract extension when you look at all of these other guys who have gotten paid in the, in the National Football League. So I credit him. I applaud him for making it this way. I think he's going to get a contract done because unless the Ravens can trade him to get like a Justin Fields or a top two pick, it doesn't benefit them not to sign Lamar Jackson. I'm really curious to see what happens here, man, because I think Deshaun Watson, that situation last year changed everything for the NFL when it comes to quarterback contracts. And I wondered if it was going to be the case with Kyler Murray. It wasn't. I wondered if it was going to be the case with Russ. It didn't end up being the case. Here's practical guarantees. So basically, like when you sign, you're almost certainly going to get that money. Deshaun Watson, 100%. All of his contract was guaranteed at signing. All $230 million. Kyler Murray signed for $230 million, but 190 of that is guaranteed. That last year of his contract, basically fake. It's a four-year deal, not a five-year deal. Russell Wilson, $240 million was given to him. He's actually only likely to see $160 million of that. Aaron Rodgers, basically all of it guaranteed. He's the other one that got this. $250 million for J- Josh Allen's contract, only $150 is guaranteed. Patrick Mahomes, $450 million contract over 10 years. $140 million is practically guaranteed. I don't know that other teams are going to follow the Deshaun Watson thing as being the way to go now. And I think Lamar is our first real test case of this. If he's being serious and he's really not willing to play on the franchise tag and he's only going to sign it if it's 100% guaranteed, I think there are teams out there that will do it. I don't know if the Ravens will or not. And that's where this thing could get super interesting. If I'm the Jets, I'm... I've, I've, I'm evacuating all Aaron Rodgers and Derek Carr conversations, and this is my sole focus right now. If I'm the Falcons, they're the team I was going to say. Yeah. Take it. Take all of it. My I'm, entire draft is yours. Because if you're the Falcons, man, you've got a team right now that around Lamar could be legitimately successful, at least on the offensive side of things. You've got a legit number one wide receiver in Drake London. He was very good as a rookie, despite having a terrible situation with who was throwing in the ball. Kyle Pitts is super talented. You've got a good running game. I think they have a good offensive mind as a head coach. You got an offensive line, though. It's okay. It's better than I think people give it credit for. If you add in Lamar Jackson there, I think they are a team that is expected to make the playoffs next season. And you look at them relative to the rest of the NFC. They would be my pick to be next year's Vikings where they win 13 games. I, uh, I, I think there will be a team that's desperate to do it because how often does a franchise quarterback become available like this? It's so hard to get a franchise quarterback, and not only a franchise quarterback, a top 10 quarterback in the league when healthy and right. So I, if I were Baltimore, I, I think at some point you have to almost cave and say, okay, it's going to be a lot harder for us. It, it's kind of like the conversation around the Blues on the number one defenseman because the quarterback is the most important position in football of – if we move on from Lamar, it's probably going to take us five to ten years before we find our next franchise quarterback. Yep. It's not often the team immediately right off the bat gets that franchise quarterback right when they decide to make that switch. I mean, look at Pittsburgh. I think they got Pickett in the guide, but he's not at the elite level right now. So I, I think Baltimore, you have to cave in and you have to give Lamar basically so what he wants and go 100% in on the fully guaranteed contract. If not, I, I, you have to move him, in my opinion. You have to, If you're not willing to do it, you have to trade him, maximize the asset return that you can get. And I do think there's a team that would be willing to do it. I think Atlanta would be desperate enough to do it. Honestly, I, Carolina should be desperate enough to make that kind of a trade. So 
If you're not willing to do it, you got to move him, in my opinion, this offseason. All right, continuing with the offseason quarterback conversations, apparently, according to a report coming out of Boston, there is a possibility that Mac Jones ends up getting moved this offseason. When asked if the Patriots would be willing to listen to offers for Mac Jones, Albert Breer of Sports Illustrated said, quote, I think they would, end quote. He added that they don't believe that there's a significant gap in the talent level between Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi. Guys, do you think that there's wow. a reasonable if he became available? Do you think there are teams that would be lining up to trade for Mac? Jones? No, I don't because he hasn't shown anything to a team that says he's better than my option right now. I mean, what team would say we'll take Mac Jones over what we have? In I think terms a lot of, of teams would. In terms of what they have on their roster or the possibility of drafting something you know this season? makes a lot of sense? The New Orleans Saints. Yeah. The like Saints if, are trash, so sure, go for it. I'm with you, but like, if they're in on Derek Carr, I think Mac Jones is like poor man's version of Derek Carr. I'm and not trading anything cheap. of valuable asset, though, no, for like him. like a second-round pick. I don't even know if I'd give that up for Mac Jones. He has not shown me second-round draft pick for I, how much teams value that. I think Mac Jones gets bashed a lot for the mess that was last year. I still think he's a good quarterback. I'm not saying he's going to be I think he's fine. a great quarterback. I think he's going to fit in that middle tier. I would rather have Mac Jones at his salary than Jimmy G at his salary Agreed. going into next year. And I'd almost say I'd almost have... I'd rather have Mac Jones on his salary over whatever Derek Carr is going to get on the open market. I, I'm still bullish on on Mac Jones. I think the whole opinion around him has shifted because New England said, "Hey, coaching offense is easy. Let's throw Matt Patricia in as our OC," which was just dumb to begin with. And you could tell that that offense wasn't anything close to what it was in years prior when he had Josh McDaniels running it. And year one under McDaniels, Jones threw for 3,800 yards in his 17 games that he started. So I. I, I think he's still got talent. I, I think he gets kind of thrown into the bin of, oh, our offense was a problem. Oh, yeah, let's not blame the guy that's never coached offense before. Let's just throw it on the shoulders of the quarterback. I would trade for him. If New England's willing to sell low on Mac Jones off of a year that I think was just an outlier, I would absolutely go in if I were some of those teams that need a quarterback. It just doesn't look like an outlier to me. It looks like a quarterback that might have had a lot of hype and not enough to back it up. I would also add this. The conversations that we have had in recent years about Mac Jones, Jared Goff, Jimmy G, all these statuesque pocket passers, you can throw them into one bin, and I would say I'm not drafting one of those guys anymore. I'm just not doing it. The ceiling is so incredibly limited that in let I mean second round or beyond, sure, maybe I'll, I'm willing to take like where Jimmy G was actually selected. He ended up being a pretty good pick, all things considered. But in the first round, I'm not taking that guy anymore. Like last year, Kenny Pickett, he can move around a little more than some of these guys that we're talking about. But I don't think that looking back, he was a legitimate first round prospect in the future. And there's not really this guy in 2023. All of these quarterbacks are pretty mobile this year. If we get into the conversations and it's like, yeah, but he doesn't really move very well. I'm out. Take him off my first round draft board. If somebody else wants to take him, fine. I'm not drafting those guys in the first round any longer. Just not willing to do it. All right, final thing here as we go through some NFL quick hitters. Alex, earlier today, Bucky Brooks put together his list of the teams that have the biggest Super Bowl windows right now. He had the top seven. Chiefs won, Eagles two, Bengals three, 49ers were at number four on this list. Sorry. Chargers Sorry, at Tanner. five. Hold on, he's not at the top seven. Yet. Cowboys at six. Sorry, Tanner. Bills at oh. seven. That's a bad list. <laughs> 
Well, if you don't have a first round pick until 2075. Guys, outside of the top three, because I think most people would probably agree, Chiefs, Eagles, Bengals feels like the right top three right now. Who would you have the, as the next one up? The next closest team with the biggest window, the biggest winning window right now to win a Super Bowl. We're all thinking the same thing, right? I don't know. Denver Broncos. Yeah, so that, that makes sense. Let's ride. Um, the Bills would be on that. And Jacksonville. I think Jacksonville might have a, a bigger window than people are giving them credit for, With especially now you've got Calvin Ridley joining that roster. Uh, I'd throw them into the conversation. Can I give you a team that I don't think a lot of people would be throwing into this mix? Because I think Denver, you have to go to the NFC. Personally. Denver Broncos. It's okay if you say the Rams. It's the Cowboys. It's the Cowboys. Yeah. And, and it's because I trust Dak Prescott more than most. I understand that. But I would throw them into the mix because the NFC is so wide open. I trust their quarterback. And I think that they're going to be able to continue getting back to the postseason year after year with Dak at the helm. Yeah, so but that would, head coach needs to change. I get it. Um, I would go to I would go to Dallas and say the Cowboys are the team that I would throw into the mix next, and it's because of the conference. I, I like it because I agree with you. The NFC is awful. I, I could see where the Cowboys could be that team. I, I do like the Jacksonville pick. I, I think they've got a great nucleus that's coming up around Trevor Lawrence to where I think it is tough for their path in the AFC. But would it shock any of you, any of us, if by the end of next year we're taking Jacksonville over like Buffalo and the Chargers no. when we're talking about a winning window? So. I, I think I would lean towards Jacksonville, too. Yeah. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind. But coming up next, earlier today, ESPN ranked their top 10 wingers in the NHL. What would it take for Jordan Cairo to make this list in the future? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. In about 10 minutes or so, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario rewind. But Alex, earlier today, I was reading on ESPN.com. They're doing a really nice um, series right now with Greg Wyshynski. Top 10 players at each respective position around the NHL. He's pulling a bunch of players and executives uh, to find out, okay, who would you have in your top 10? And then he's putting the list together accordingly. Today was the top 10 wingers in the NHL. At number one, no surprise, especially given the season that he's had, David Pasternak. He's right atop the list, uh, according to uh, Greg Wyshynski. The rest of this list, Nikita Kucherov, Kirill Kaprizov, Mitch Marner, who we've had conversations about, Miko Rantanen, uh, Brad Marchand, Artemi Panarin, Matthew Kachuk, who we had plenty of conversations about last summer, Jason Robertson, and Alex Ovechkin. Those are the top 10 wingers, according to ESPN.com, right now. Question that I wanted to ask you, what would it take for Jordan Cairo to make this list? And I think the initial reaction for a lot of Blues fans is, well, you got to get better defensively. You got to become a little bit more responsible. And so I wanted to look at these players that we just talked about in the top 10 and see, okay, where do they rank? Jay Fresh is a guy that is on Twitter. He's a great follow on Twitter. He puts together something very similar to the athletics player cards where it just shows, hey, how good based on a percentile is this player defensively? It's one algorithm. You don't have to trust it entirely, but I think more often than not, it's pretty close to being what you would expect to see. The only guys on this top 10 list that are even considered to be above average, not even great, just above average defensively, Kaprizov, Marner, Marshand, and Kachuk. That's it. 
The other six are all considered to be below average or in some cases genuinely terrible <laughs> defensively. Good. So I think for me, Jordan Cairo, like, do I want to see a little bit more give a bleep? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Does he need to get better with the changes being quicker? Yes. Does he need to get more compete sometimes? Yes. But I don't think defense is what's holding him back from this list. I think he's just got to get up into that 95 to 100 point production. If you look at all these guys, here are the points that they are projected for this year, Alex. 113, 118, 95, 94, 107, and then some guys that have not played as many games, 66 points in 56 games projected, 66 and 55, 72 and 70. It's at least a point per game, if not for most of these guys, quite a bit more than that. I think that's the next step for Jordan Cairo. How do you get the assist numbers up? He's likely to be a 35 to 40 goal scorer this year. I think the assist numbers are the next thing. And I think this time next year, there's a pretty decent chance he's on a list like this. Yeah, I'm with you. Like all of the conversation of, well, it's got to be better defensively. That's not the problem. He does need to actually care on the ice and buy in. And and I guess care is not the right word, but those slow line changes and getting into arguments with the head coach on the bench, like that's got to go. And that comes with maturity in the NHL. That comes with more time. And let's be frank, this season's kind of a lost season. It's tough to get a 24-year-old committed to a season when you know you're destined for a draft lottery pick than the playoffs. You got to get to that 90-point plateau. You got to hit 90 points or 50 goals if you're going to be considered one of the top wingers in the National Hockey League. Kairou's got the ability to, but some of the discipline with the puck in the offensive zone is what's keeping him from getting to this point. Because what you don't see from Pasternak and Marner and Matthew Kachuk is putting the puck in a bad spot turning it over easily, getting bumped off the puck along the boards. They're a force to be reckoned with. Ryan O'Reilly, I heard him talk after that first Maple Leafs game, and he talked about Mitch Marner, and he said, man, he's so good with the puck on his stick, you always feel like there's a play coming. At times last year, that was Jordan Cairo. We talked about it. He was so exciting to the point where you had to stop when he had the puck on his stick. He got away from that this year. You're turning the puck over a lot. You're not putting it in the right spot. That's how you become a 90-point player, always making sure you're making a play and not a a dead play as Craig Berube talks about it. Something that David Pasternak, like if we're going to make this comp, because Pasternak's number one on this list. And listen, I'm not saying that Jordan Cairo is going to become the best winger in the NHL. It'd be nice that if he does. Lofty expectation. But just looking at the comparison between these two players, again, different players, but production-wise, Year one, full first full season in the NHL. It's technically his third year, but his first full season in the NHL for David Pasternak, roughly a point per game player. 34 goals, 70 points in 75 games. Year two, roughly a point per game player again. 35 goals, 80 points, 82 games. Year three, Alex, that's when it clicked for him. 38 goals, 81 points, and he did that in 66 games. He became he just took off and went to a different level and then it sustained. 48 goals and 95 points in 70 games. And then last year, 40 goals again. This year, he's already at 40 goals in 56 games, and he's now the best winger in the NHL. We are in right now year two of like legit full seasons in the NHL for Jordan Cairo. So far, he's roughly where David Posternock was in his first two full seasons in the NHL. Next year's the year. Next year's the year where David Posternock took it to another level and became like a more than a point per game player. Projecting over the course of a full season, a 40 plus goal score, a like 90 to 100 point type of a player. 
That's what I want to see from Jordan Cairo next year. But we talked a little bit about the defense. When you look at these other guys that are on the lower levels when it comes to what they are defensively on the wing, most of them play with a defensively responsible center or a stud other winger that is on their line that can take up some of that liability from them. Like you look at Kucherov, they've got some guys. Uh, Panarin, they've got some dudes. Robertson, Ovechkin, like these guys all play with somebody else that is super responsible that takes some of that load off of them. Alex, when I look at what Jordan Cairo is and how he gets onto a list like this, it may sound strange. A lot of it comes down to what Robert Thomas is going to become as a defensive-minded centerman. Yep, it does. And that it's kind of like the defense conversation for me as much as we all talk Colton Pareko let's look at Justin Falk who's also struggling this season we all point to Jordan Cairo and sit here and say boy he's not played well this season he turns the puck over he's not committed Robert Thomas has had those situations as well he's had those endless puck possessions in the offensive zone he's made a couple of questionable calls this felt like a season that regressed for Robert Thomas's two-way performance than what we did last year last year we were talking about him getting shifts on the number one line going up against the Nathan McKinnons and taking the draws in the defensive zone. Now he's been a liability. So just as much as you expect one player to be great, the guy who's going to be playing a majority of the ice time with that individual has just as much responsibility on that player's success. And he does his own for a long for before the trades took place. Those three games, but the blues returned Braden Shen was playing on the wing with Thomas and Cairo. Because Craig Berube was looking at that as, you got two young guys, let's let them play with Braden Shen, who's got that responsibility to his game. Thomas is still in the growing pattern, and he's been in the NHL for three, four full seasons now. But if you're going to look for Jordan Cairo's next step, we're still waiting for Robert Thomas's next step. Those two coincide with each other because the great wingers that score all of the points... They've got a they've got a, a robin to their Batman that's creating all of those opportunities. Coming up next, we'll hit the rewind with the competition that we didn't expect to be seeing this early in spring training for the Cardinals here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Let's hit the rewind before we hand things over to the fast lane. Alex, the way that we began our show today is the way that we will end it, and that is by talking about uh, the alleged reported um, competition that is taking place in center field for the Cardinals, according to multiple reports coming out of Jupiter. Tyler O'Neill talked to Ollie Marmol during the offseason and said, hey, I would like to compete for the starting spot in center field in spring training. And that is exactly what is taking place right now. Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill are competing for that spot. Claiborne, Mike Claiborne, was on with the morning show today and said something to the effect of, hey, Dylan Carlson's competing for his spot on the opening day starting lineup right now. <laughs> when you heard that, when you think about what this could be, 
How did how did that hit your ears today? It, it told me that Ollie and the Cardinals are trying to light a fire underneath Dylan Carlson, trying to get the best out of him and making internal competition. And there actually might be inter- internal competition. Uh, Katie Wu was reporting on the biggest thing that they were the reason behind Tyler O'Neill with the center field position is his sprint speed, his routes that he can play, and of course, just uh, his overall speed. And he's going to be playing center field for Team Canada in the World Baseball mm-hmm. Classic. So uh, I, I don't think this is a mirage and they're trying to, you know, get one over us. And then next thing you know, Dylan Carlson's going to be the starting center fielder. Maybe that still happens. But to me, this signified that they want that internal competition and they really want a spark to be lit underneath Dylan Carlson for spring training. Yeah, and I, I don't even think it's just spring training. I think it's, hey, this is the year that we need Carlson to take that next step in terms of you know not being a guy that's just a platoon bat. They want to know, are you going to be a fourth outfielder that can only play against lefties or are you a guy that can be an everyday center fielder or maybe if he plays well maybe they like O'Neill better in center field to where they put him back in his natural position which is right and you move Lars back over to left but I, I think this was one of those where it's hey let's let's light a little bit of a spark under him and let's find out this is the big year for Dylan Carlson this is either hey you're going to become an everyday center fielder for us and we're going to plan on that moving forward or you're going to be a fourth fourth bat for us and Walker's going to be potentially taking your spot as we get into the season. I am fascinated to see what this looks like as we get further into spring training, especially given Tyler O'Neill's injury history, because that is one thing that would concern me about O'Neill playing in center field on a day in day out basis. How do his legs hold up over the course of a full season doing that? It is a much bigger grind than playing in left. And I understand he changed his workout routine in the offseason. It's just a lot to expect coming out of Tyler O'Neill. So the best case scenario for the Cardinals remains what it was before we had heard anything about this. Dylan Carlson is great. He ends up starting in center field. You have Tyler O'Neill on left, Lars Newbar on right, and then eventually Jordan Walker's coming for somebody's job, and that just depends on who's performing the best at that point in time. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.